You're listening to Well, I Laughed, part two of Plenty of Fish, alone in a crowded room. The kids are actually at school obsessed with how shiny my head is. They are regularly shocked by it. And then, and this is a compliment that I'm going to give myself because they see that we're already recording. Um, Jesus. <laughs> they recently started to wise up and come to me and ask for what my skincare routine is. Oh my God. Because I am an older white gentleman in their eyes who has not completely fallen apart in the skin department yet. And that's really wonderful. That's a huge compliment. That's a big compliment. I don't tell them what it is, but it's a huge compliment. What is your skincare? Mainly Dove bar soap just rubbed off. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. But you know what that's stereotype Men will literally find a dirty towel on the side of the street and use that instead of any kind of soap meant for their face and then also proceed to not go to therapy. No, what it is, I always tell them, it's uh, actually a shocking amount of vegetables, uh, plenty of water, um, a decent exercise routine, sleep, and uh, native face wash. That's fair. Yeah, thank you. Solid. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's holding it together. Oh, and then so much sunscreen during the summer. Mm, just mm, That like, is really important. You know, it gets brighter, I get whiter. That's kind of like a general philosophy for how to handle skincare. But anyways. Hello. What a fun little soft launch. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are you? You look phenomenal. Today, yeah, I had some uh, some bad times. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that was more serious than what I thought it was during no. our little check-in. <laughs> uh, no, I just had a had a weird mental health day yesterday. Grant saw me for some of it, and so I just decided I today was the day to act like I'm going places. <laughs> That's you it. you look so pretty, and you're putting on like this gorgeous coat. Shock, From Costco. Shocked that you're cold right now. Oh, I'm by not. The way. I just like it. Oh, okay. Cool, and this cool, cool. shirt gives me underarm fat. Uh, do like you it. want to talk about just even just a smidge portion of your day yesterday? So here's here's where it started. Really, was last week, last last Monday. I don't know if I mentioned this on last week's episode. Um, I was driving somewhere. I had like this like early morning coffee appointment kind of and or date whatever and my tire blew out on the highway and it was a tire that I got on four days prior and so I was and that was this whole other thing and then yesterday also a Monday I went to go to a movie (laughs) with Grant and some of our friends and on the way I was like right before I would have turned like gone past the highway not getting on it but uh, I like noticed that my car felt weird, and mm. I after the last incident, I was like, "We're not messing with this. I'm pulling over, and I'm gonna check it." And I'm glad that I did. That same tire that I had just replaced and just taken to the mechanic to make sure that there is no reason that my car would cause a tire to flatten or would cause a tire to flatten in the future. Right. No one saw uh, this coming because that same tire was flat. <laughs> Like rim on the ground, and luckily I caught it before anything happened because I was able to like fill it back up. Right. And then I'm running late for this movie, which I had left early for, by the way. Yeah, actually before I had. Yeah, because I was excited <laughs> and I wanted to get a drink. It was like a an Alamo Draft House where like they serve you, and I wanted to get like a snickety snack or maybe a drinkity drink. And also important about Alamo Draft House, once the movie starts. They won't let you in. They, yeah. uh, you got to be there before the movie starts. Yeah, and so I was texting Grant. I was like. 
I am halfway up <laughs> filling this tire, and I'm still seven minutes away. Do you think I can make it? <laughs> and Grant was like, let me ask the waiter. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, you should be fine. And I go to Alamo Draft House. I find parking. I literally run she does. from my car into the movie theater. I sit down literally right as the movie is starting, and then the movie proceeds to then be silent. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm sitting next to Maya, and all I hear is... <sighs> <laughs> and you're doing that thing where you're like, if I just stop breathing, my breathing will slow down. I was like down. trying to like calm my heart rate. I can um, hear you like holding your breath. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and it's a very serious movie, and it's, it's serious right away. It's and serious I, right away. And I'm trying not to actively laugh at Maya sitting. I'm next trying to me. not to laugh at myself because I'm like, this is absolutely unhinged. And then we sit through just a, a really compelling art movie beautiful movie but also it's the zone of interest we'll stop teasing yes. it out yeah look at the trailer if you would like it's it's intense from the second oh it God. starts until well into the credits it's an intense experience it's intense if you're in it i yeah. will say if you're not in it it just feels like you're watching a family but mm. um yeah i mean if you have a soul yeah it's really intense so while you're doing all of that <sighs> I'm talking to our friends Sophie and Danny. Yeah. They're telling me a little story. And I'm trying to flag down our waiter to ask them yeah. if you can come or not. And God bless them. I, you know, everyone clearly showed up at once right after work. Uh, this waiter went from having no one to having everybody. Everyone, yeah. So I d tried to flag him down. And he went, be with you in just one second. And I just went, oh. Now he thinks I'm an asshole. Because <laughs> I was like, um, excuse me, sir. I need my loaded fries now. <laughs> now. Um, and in reality, I'm like... Okay, well, I, we'll just kind of let Maya keep coming here until we have a solid answer. I was still filling my tires, so. so. Finally got the answer, texted to you, realized it wasn't sending, and then yeah. stepped out. And as I stepped out of the theater, I was like, wait, am I going to get locked out of all of this? <laughs> Maya had a hard time. I, too, had a hard time. Yeah, it's really hard being a bald white man. <laughs> who got picked up by his friends, who was just there. Who literally did just not there. have to do anything after he bought the tickets. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a great movie. It uh, was. The the girl the ghost the ghosty girl yes ghost girl uh, spoilers ahead yes there yeah there's a girl it's not a ghost uh, it's thermal it's a heat camera okay uh, and it was military grade so they had to like figure out ways to get more data out of the visuals than the military had originally like programmed that camera to get oh yeah and so those those shots are only in. 4K, and I think they said the rest of the movie was in 6K, but initially it wasn't even in 1K, like okay. the thermal. Uh, and that character is based off of a real person that the director met while he was researching for the movie named um, Ale Alexandra, Alexia, okay. or something like that. And um, that was a real story. She did used to do that. She used to ride a bike into the work camps and, and like leave food, food for people. Um, when she's sitting playing that music, that song on the piano, she is wearing uh, Alexandra, whatever her name is. She's wearing her dress in her house, playing on her piano. Uh, yeah, okay. crazy. And they were trying to do uh, what was it? They used the thermal radiation or the thermal camera. And then the real woman is in the movie. Is that what no, I'm, no, no, no? Okay, it's I was like, like her. All of her. It's her story. <laughs> okay, it's her like house that she was in. It's her clothing it's her piano okay. it's her bike actually too cool the real thing i was like i remember that woman being like 18 young, years yeah. old no, okay. no so it I wasn't was that like, same woman help me bridge this gap no uh <laughs> they wanted to do they didn't want to use any like 
theater equipment mm. like lights mm-hmm. or like any fancy stuff. And so all of the shots, if you do go watch it, all of the cameras are set up before the scene starts. So they're never shooting the same sequence more than once. So the right. sequence that you see is the sequence as it happens. And so they didn't want to use any lighting or anything, but they needed this to happen in the pitch dark. And so they needed to, what equipment can we use to see her in the dark? Right. And that was it. I um, fascinating that they shot it in the pitch dark. Yeah, and that she right. was able to navigate all of that. Right. That's insane. Yeah. She deserves a raise. Yeah, I <laughs> want to go back and at least see those clips. Mm-hmm. And then I saw another interview by one of the actors who said, "You know, you're in the house, and there's no like there's no stage people there. There's no directors. Yeah, they're they're just... all in a trailer outside. So it's truly just you alone in the mm-hmm. room or in the, uh, the the tub or whatever else." Yeah. And they said, some of the cameras you could see. as like an actor. You're like, oh, yeah. there's the camera. But a lot of them you couldn't. They had even like intentionally hid them in the so set. So that it felt like they were. Correct. I also imagine it's like to get the number up. of shots they wanted yeah. that you couldn't be able to see all of yeah. them. But yeah, just so compelling and did such a good job of telling, I think, the story they sought out to tell. Yeah, if you haven't seen it and you yeah. want to see some World War II movies, um, like specifically about the Holocaust, it it was it was a bit of a mind, yeah. mind fuck. It's incredibly disturbing at times yes. without ever really rising without to saying graphic. Anything. They don't yeah. like the family is right by the concentration camp. You never see anything right. that happens in the concentration camp. It's just it's so disturbing because you don't see anything. Right. Yeah. Right. And you're aware of yeah. everything. It, it was crazy. So you had a you had a pretty intense day. Yeah, yesterday. and then I came home and had to like I before I even got in my car, I checked my tire pressure. Tire had lost like ten psi of, of air, it had. and then I realized as I was refilling it that the like valve thing was loose. And I was like, first of all, how did no one see this? <laughs> I took it to the tire place twice. I took it to the mechanic. How did no one see that this tiny little valve, which is clearly where the air goes in, was coming out? It was coming out, and I tightened it, and I haven't had any problems since. That's I'm pissed. A single mom who works two two jobs. jobs. And I came home and Casey like came down to help me and I was just like, I'd just seen that movie and my car is like falling apart around me and I was like, yeah, that movie was not great going with my already bad day. Mm -hmm. And Casey was like, okay. And then I remember looking at you right before we parted ways at the movie theater last night and going, see you tomorrow? Jess was like, hey, we're still on. And you were like, oh. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, we might be rescheduling, which is totally fine. My story was half written. Cool. And then I told Casey I wasn't going to work out today because I thought it would take longer. And then I actually finished it around four. Mm, so I hear all of it that. ended up being fine. But I was like, ha ha, what? <laughs> I, um. Oh, we have yeah. fan mail too. Do we want to do that first? Do you want to do that yes, next? Yes, I, Maya cut this cool dog yes. i'm like almost certain that that's who that is is not a patron that's fine yeah so we have fan mail and it's just one so we're just gonna open it here and i'll let grant open it it's from our dear friend is it alexa or alexia alexa alexa i think from tejas from tejas it's always still so shocking to me one that we have a mailbox same um but oh okay uh, and two, that people want to send stuff to it. That's also really crazy. Lydia said she was going to send something, and she hasn't yet. And so... she, well, we just need to perform a service for her. She, her love language is thank you cards. Yeah, I mean, I'll send her a thank you card if she sends us something. <laughs> no, she's going to send us a thank you card okay, is what I'm okay. trying to say. <gasps> Wait, what? There's more. What? <gasps> Shut up. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <gasps> You're not ready. Oh my god! Stop! 
These are, I'm overwhelmed. Truly, oh my god, one of them is a drawing. Did you see this one? <laughs> oh my god, I didn't see the dog in the background. Okay, do we need to start talking and holding some of these things up? Or Yeah, let's not reveal too much. No, yeah. no, no, no. Um, We've talked to this person over email, so we know a little bit about their story. And ah! um, Love this. Upset my, zoom in, could enhance as they do in the <laughs> Love this. Um, I'm going to hold on to that one. Uh, That's super fair. Uh, some, some enamel pins, which we love. I'll repair everything, but I thought you'll enjoy with these goodies. Oh, she sent us pins for leukemia awareness, and then there's the dogs. The pictures of the dogs from the hospital. Oh my God, there's actually so many and dogs. And they have their little names. They come with names. Stop. We have Coca-Cola, Rex, Maze, Canter. <laughs> Some of these are just dogs really close to the camera. I love Do you see the one in the little dress up? And Enhance. The dog into Grand Eyes picture from Oktoberfest. Which is still, by the way, one of my favorite it's photos of us. <laughs> this took some real time. Like, this is actually this is really like, well actually done. This is actually pretty impressive because I don't think I could get the background removed. That well. It's also the right kind of dog face yeah, for all of it. Yes, you know? it fits in. Right? It does. Fantastic. Amazed. We are. Oh. Well, when we don't deserve this. No, this so is so beyond kind. touching. And you got a pin? Uh, yes. And we know you love your pins. I love my pins. I'm going to put it on my lanyard tomorrow. You should. I'm trying to do like a new set of pins every month, and so I needed my so, February pins. Thank you so much, Alexa. I think I might cry, and I need to... Like, These are overwhelming. This is overwhelming, especially like knowing the story, and oh, I love that. That's so cute. We'll send you... An, hold on one second. We'll send them a thank you card. Set a reminder for two hours from now. <laughs> No, you, Siri just says, you're welcome. <laughs> no, Siri. Set a reminder for 9 p.m. Send email. Amazing. That's so kind. I'm obsessed, and I might cry. Okay. You had something else you were going to say, and you need to say it. Sure, okay. Yeah, no, absolutely great. Love love this kind of pressure right away. Um, so, right away? <laughs> I'm also in the moment, girl. Uh, no, but I do. I am ready. Uh <laughs> Okay, so it's actually, so it's related in part to the camera, the wonderful camera that we have now that hopefully was able to capture all of that stuff. Yes. So the camera we have now is much better than, than the, the camera. the original camera, yes. Right. And that's, wow, that's I so mean, good. I mean, the original camera was my phone, the second camera. <laughs> right. Right. Some of the very first videos we, we ever took. Mm -hmm. So that's where I set my bar at for yeah. a really long time. Yes. And then I saw our most recent videos. And my biggest takeaway was, oh, I have to shave before every episode <laughs> now. It will pick up any fuzz at all. I can't even really shave that morning and come in with five o'clock shadow. I need to, and that means also, by the way, I'm doing some real dry shaves right now, which is fine. It's a little rough, but it works. Where I don't know if, if that's picking it up. I'm shaved, uh, and I love I love my bald head, but also... Um, yeah, I got a new lighting what? setup, and Grant was very insecure that one of the lights was bouncing off of his dome of a head. Listen, I have a really healthy <sighs> face skin, I guess, and I was afraid it was going to catch the light. And Casey, by the way, agreed with me. He did think and it was catching the light. he is very honest. Yes, he yeah. is. It's one of our favorite things about him. Yeah, he is very honest. Also, on the topic of my bald head. Yes. 
on Sunday, yes. I got my beard trimmed. My beard had gotten quite long and I got it trimmed. And that is the one thing I miss about having hair is when you get a haircut, everyone's mm. like, do you get a haircut? Like I shaved off maybe an inch of beard and everyone's like, oh, hey. What? <laughs> also, Babes. <laughs> the man who shaved my head to like help get around my ear and stuff just grabbed my ear a little. Not like super hard, that's but a, not gentle. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough. You, you get it. Immediately understood. <laughs> you, you get it. And it was a way where it was like, oh, like that's not intimate, but also... I haven't, I haven't touched that way in years. It's a little intimate. <laughs> I don't know if that was TMI. It, 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 no, it didn't it. start off that way, but uh, and also like so after I got past that first thought, yeah. my second thought was, oh, we're about to have an amazing shave. <laughs> if he even if he knows to do that to get the yeah. earlobe out of the way instead of just missing a little bit, oh, Rob, and I think he did. He did a great job. It does look good. It looks Dusty, very clean. he did a great job. <laughs> Give it up for Dusty. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that was it. I have one more thing yeah, I'd like it. to share, and then I'm probably going to save the rest for either Patreon or later i know oh, we okay. have potentially a longer story tonight i'm not sure great okay i couldn't tell you can always backfill yeah i don't know <laughs> there's a lot of as soon as we get into it you'll know why my notes are so long but my note the length of my notes was not a good indicator to me about how long this episode I'm, is gonna be i'm so eager because i mean my notes i thought i was like yeah saw a little episode and it was unhinged thank Thank you. It was it was, it might be one of my, it's one of my favorites. It is one of those stories that found me not that's the, way the best way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now that it's recorded, I'm like deleting all the source material that I had yeah. for it. I was like, oh, I don't need any of this anymore. Anyways, um, Sunday is the Super Bowl. Yes. And oh, yeah. Jacob has invited me to a Super Bowl party, which is extra fun because Lydia's out of town, so it's just a weekend with the boys. And he actually invited me to one of his other friends, who's like the one that's actually hosting it. Yeah. But he was like, Grant, you know, I'm like, tag along. Also, he says there's going to be another gay person there, which honestly, I'm hurt. I thought, <laughs> thought I was the only one he knew. What do you mean you have other gay friends? So messed up. <laughs> but he's asked Jacob to put together, because it's a boys Super Bowl party Um, a mock NFL combine before the Super Bowl and I think that's fun and Jacob has asked me to help keep score (laughs) that's real cute I love that I feel involved and also now I can claim you know undue influence I can't I can't participate yeah but there's no pressure I'm keeping score yeah I can't like sorry I I have a job also if this other gay person is cute what a flirty position to be in so real like do you need some extra do you oh I thought you were asking to come along I was like I don't know what you just said but I think you're looking for an invite no I'm not (laughs) okay I will be in steamboat (laughs) the way you like (laughs) I barely watch the Super Bowl when I am at a Super Bowl party so um so that's my last update Super Bowl I'm bald and I love it had a great beard trim excited about this crazy movie yesterday yes still thinking about that we're just movie people now I am not upset about it. Mm. Um, I think I need a minute before I see another A24. I hear that. Um, sorry. I just We are the kind of people that are very much busy every oh, night, yeah. and that's fun. I am back at the point in the process where it's like, I don't want to tell someone I've just met that I have a podcast. Okay, yeah. And so when they're like, oh, you have one free night on Tuesday, it's like, I don't, no, and I don't. don't know how to tell you. <laughs> but I, uh, I don't. A date with a woman. 
that's exciting. <laughs> oh, you mean me. You're trying to help me come up with lies. Oh, that's kind. I thought I I thought we just learned so much about you. You learned more about Casey in that moment seconds. than you learned about me. <laughs> True, but I was like, yeah. wow, okay. Live no, on air. No. They're finding out the same Talking time I am. You. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you can tell she's over it because she's grabbing the iPad. Let's let's get into the story. I can't shall wait for we? my opening question. With my opening question. Oh, it'll be a while. Oh, okay. I think. Um, if it's about Abraham Lincoln again and it's just a tease again, I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to start including random Abraham Lincoln <laughs> trivia in all of my stories and Grant. May 1862. Grant, what's going on there? Don't tease me! <laughs> I'm doing it now, folks. I'm doing it now. Um, okay. So we're starting with. First, let me set this to do not rotate. Uh, we're starting in Olancha, California. I have no Spell idea what that is. O-L-A-N-C-H-A. Okay. Yeah. Uh, February 13th, 1961. February 13th. Day before Valentine's Day, 1961. Gotcha. <laughs> I do believe it's the 14th, right? Yes. Oh, sorry. Actually, I have one more story I need to tell you. Because okay. it's related to Valentine's Day, which I know was last week, but not in this universe where we're recording these ahead of time. It's still next week. On February 14th, I'm taking some students to a play downtown that's called Saboyas. Oh. And all the kids are like, oh, what's that about? And I go, oh, it's the Spanish version of Shrek. Because <laughs> Saboyas is Spanish for onion. And they've all believed me. And so I had to clarify it at the end of the day. I was like, yo, I'm sorry, y'all. I thought it was very obvious that that was a joke. We are not going to see Spanish, Spanish Shrek. Shrek. I have truthfully forgotten what this play is about because I read the description in August when I applied for the tickets. But I remember it sounding interesting at the time because there's others I didn't apply for. But I know for a fact it's not Spanish Shrek. The kids were all, uh-oh. They were all, uh, no, there was actually a lot of really weird emotions about going to go see Spanish Shrek in the room. Some good, some bad. Definitely a spectrum of reactions to That's that. That's fair. That's fair. You know what? That's fair. But we were talking about February 13th. We were talking about February 1961. 13th. 1961. Yeah. Um, your way to repeat, your way of memorizing dates and years is appalling to me. I don't Thank get you. it. Thank um, you. So we are with Wallace Lan, Virginia Maxi, and Mike Mike Sell. Mike Mike Sell. Like Mike Mike Sell, but it's Mike Sell. It, yeah, Mike Mike Sell. Do you think it's like Mixel? No, I, maybe. I don't know. I'm okay. calling it Mike Sell. Mike Sell. All right. That's Mr. Mike Sell. Mike Sell, Virginia, and Wallace. Wallace. They Fake are, names. <laughs> they are looking for interesting mineral specimens, namely geodes, for their store, which is LM&V Rockhound Gem and Gift Shop, which is down in the city. <laughs> I got why they needed to abbreviate their names. Yeah, Mike. Yes. Because there was then eight other words they wanted to yes. put into it. <laughs> Rockhound Gem and Gift Shop. Yes. Uh, they are six. Okay. I got a little turned around in the, the all the directions. Okay. So here it says six miles northeast of Elantia. Um, they are near the tops of a mountain peak at about 4,300 feet above sea level, which is about 340 feet above the bed of a nearby lake called Owens Lake. Okay. Um, here's a quote. I don't know who it was from. One of the people. Uh, we hiked about three miles north after we had parked some five miles east of the state highway south of Olancha. So 
I don't know. Do that math in your head. There's a triangle in there somewhere, I think. Uh, so they collect their rocks and their geodes, and they place them in Mike's rucksack for them him to take back to the shop. And so the next day, Mike gets to work cutting open the supposed geodes that they found. And do you know how they cut open geodes? Isn't it like a big hammer? It's, it's a diamond saw. What? Yeah, if you don't want like the rough edges, you'll cut it with a oh, saw, and okay. it's made out of has a diamond tip to it. I was it. at a beautiful ceremony once mm-hmm. where they had a geode that they cracked open with a hammer <gasps> oh, no. at the end of their vows. Was there actually a geode in it? I think so. Okay, yeah, that would have been sad. It was very sparkly. Okay, then yeah, it was a geode. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, because <laughs> sometimes you get maybe, geodes. Maybe that... they knew that ahead of time that it was I a geode. I feel like they have they, to. They like had someone double check it. It just makes me nervous. <laughs> No, I remember being like, oh, that's sweet. That Anyways, they moved away. Never heard from them again. Okay, but cool. at the time, very sweet. It's like Bob's, that's life. <laughs> Bob's Burgers, where that, they do the wedding, and there's... Bob. <laughs> Bob. Sorry. Do you not know the clip? I'm sorry. I'm having a day. I'm going to shut up. What? <laughs> <laughs> They're doing the wedding, and instead of doing a dove release, they do a butterfly release, but it's so oh. windy, and oh, yes. the butterflies are actually dead in the boxes, and so they, yes. they all open them, and they're like, mine's dead, just throw it into the air, and so they throw them, and all these dead butterflies. There's a, there's a clip of people at a funeral, and they're trying to do a dove release, which I'm sure would have been really beautiful if the Dove wasn't dead. <laughs> so he like tosses it in the air. And as soon as it's in the air, you know it's dead. It's not like a oh oh oh. It's like an immediate like oh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, the episode of <laughs> Arrested Development. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Goes into the fridge and sees a paper bag that says, Dead Dog, do not eat. Yeah. <laughs> and he opens it and he eats a dead dog. And he just goes, I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> what I found out is there's like a group of people that read fan fiction that call themselves the Dead Dove Society. I love that. Where they're like, if you see a war- like a warning that says like, bondage, <laughs> don't be surprised. <laughs> just the dead dog do not eat and you know he was hoping that it was what, something I don't else. know uh, <laughs> I saw this oh it was another thing I'm we are about four it more. lines I into my story I know but real quick someone was doing a what's in and what's out for 2024 and one of them was what's out non-fiction what's in fairy smut <laughs> I don't know if we're saying that on the regular episodes, but this is going to have been one of Hell the yeah! episodes. Oh, man. I almost sent it to you, but it's like 45 seconds in, and I was... I would have listened to it okay. all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just finished the newest Sarah J. Moss book that came out, and I had to like mourn the loss that I won't have another one for like a year, and I just got really sad. Yeah, anyway. So, hold on. So, they're collecting rocks near a lake. They're collecting geodes. It's 1961. (laughs) Mike is cutting geodes with his diamond saw. He had just. Like at the lake. No, back at their shop. Okay. This is the next day. And um, there is one particular rock 
nearly breaks his diamond-tipped saw, which is not normal, and especially because the saw blade was relatively new, so it really should not have broken. So Mike looks inside it, and what he finds is that this is not, in fact, a geode. There is no cavity inside. This is what he saw. Oh, that's I think this is after someone else maybe finished cracking it open. Is that a meteor? Okay. This so, looks otherworldly. Will you describe it to the people? So, <laughs> it looks like a cheesy blaster. It looks like someone <laughs> put a hot dog rolled it in a pizza. You got cheesy blasters. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh my god. It's even better that you have no context for what I just said. Okay, so it's a hole that's, I mean, it's like a, it's a round-shaped rock surrounded mm-hmm. by a lumpier rock with what looks like, like a shiny little pencil graphite in the center of it? Mm-hmm. That's what I would describe it yeah. as. Um, so instead, he opens up the rock and realizes there's a perfectly circular section right in the middle of it that is made of a very hard white material that he thinks is porcelain. Okay. Um, and this in the center of that cylinder, what Grant thought was graphite, or looks like it's a, just like a dot in the middle, was a two millimeter wide shaft of a bright metal, which was magnetic, which responded to magnets. Um, The outer layer of the rock was crusted with fossilized shells and shell fragments, and the two metal objects uh, looked kind of like a nail and a washer, like they're uh, one inside of the other, you know? Um, And there seemed to be a hexagonal layer around the porcelain cylinder. Um, Between this hexagonal layer and the porcelain, there seemed to be a decomposing layer of copper. So... Virginia Maxi, all three of them are like, what? Right. Uh, Virginia Maxi, one of the discoverers, takes this rock to a geologist friend that has never been named. So we don't, I don't have the name. I'm not just being irresponsible. Um, and this geologist said that the fossil shells that were encrusting the specimen, the way that they're fossilized and like encrusted in the rock looks like they must have been there for like 500, 500,000 years to attain its present form. Okay. And these results will never were never officially published because it was like a friend telling a friend, like, from my expertise, right. this is what this looks like. And so there's another investigation that was published, and it was done by a man named Ron Callias. Uh, Callias took photographs of the ste- specimen in natural light and in x-ray, and this is what he found. What? And so you can kind of... Okay, so to describe this yeah. one, it's like... I mean, the best way I could describe what I'm looking at is it looks like a margarita glass you would get Mm -hmm. at, like, a great Mexican restaurant. Turned kind of sideways. Yeah, turned sideways. And you're looking at the inside of the stone. Yes. So I can see the, like, center red metal thing. Yes. That comes across really clearly in the x-ray. But then, like, the dome kind of, it almost looks like it has rings like Saturn does. Yeah. It's super confusing. It's very confusing looking. Um, And so these x-rays. I was ready for a fish. (laughs) I know, I couldn't be obvious, babes. These x-rays revealed there was also some kind of spring or helix shape, which could potentially be the remains of a corroded piece of metal that had threads on it, like a a screw or, I don't know. From 500,000 years ago? Exactly. So, uh, it's important to note that this man, Ron Callias, is a creationist. We'll get back Mm, to that in a bit. Um, Ron was the second expert. Yeah, expert. Uh, Now, Info Journal editor Paul J. Willis suggested it could be some kind of a spark plug. 
So the hexagonal, hexagonal part with the porcelain insulator with the shaft align with the basic components of any spark plug, but the helix shape stumped them that doesn't align with most contemporary spark plugs. So is it a spark plug? What happened? How did this happen? Why does it look like it's in, encrusted in fossils that look like they're 500,000 years old? Can I take old? a guess? Is this Noah's Ark? <laughs> no. Okay. No. I was like, I was like, fish creationist. No, it's, it's like the creationist comes into play, but it's not as it's not like that okay, obvious. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's not just like some wild ancient fish. No. If you guessed it right now, I would be shocked. And it's not like an asteroid or a meteor or anything. Okay. Well, I'm I'm buckled. I'm sat. I'm You're like be here for this. Uh, <laughs> No, I love to learn. Also, this is like I this is another one where I there's a bunch of mini stories. So, good. Yeah, good, okay. good. <laughs> so did maybe this end up this spark plug, not spark plug, whatever this is, end up in like a mud bank and then the fossils somehow kind of surrounded it and it hardened? Or another thought is that this is proof of an ancient intelligent civilization. Mm, or they're the ones that built the pyramids. Yes, exactly. Okay. Or alien visitors from like a really long time ago, prehistoric times. So it could be Atlantis, could be time travelers, could be aliens, could be ancient civilizations we've never known. So Andrew Ohehir, <laughs> O apostrophe H E H I R. Best friends with Mike Mikewissell. Yes. Andrew, as I will be calling him, <laughs> for a magazine called Salon, said uh, he talked with some experts about this and. Now we're not in 1961 anymore. We're like this mystery has kind of prevailed throughout sure. the years. I Can I ask real quick? When you were a kid growing up, your family had cable. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever watch History's Mysteries on the History Channel late at night? Um, maybe it wouldn't have been until I was older and okay. out. My family was not as in the church anymore. Mm, okay, yeah. gotcha. Mm -hmm. uh, it was History Channel, so I was allowed to watch it basically all the time, unless mom and dad wanted to watch one of their shows. Um, <laughs> and just, I remember every time I'd watch History's Mysteries, mm -hmm. and at the end of the episode, they'd be like, but it's a mystery. And I'd be like, oh my god. <laughs> what do you mean it's unsolved? Exactly. <laughs> As I'm watching Unsolved, unsolved Mysteries. Mysteries. No, 100% yeah. though. Anyways, this is giving me huge first three minutes mm -hmm. of History's Mysteries. Yeah, And then a bunch, a of, bunch of non-union reenactment yes. actors are about to be on my screen for the next 50 minutes. Bring them in. <laughs> <laughs> I love a show. <laughs> <laughs> that was so quick, too. Thank you. you. got me there. All right, so talk to me about this. Though. Talk about so, this strange little alien rock. Andrew said, uh, of interviewing people in reference to this rock, um, by now it is called the Koso Artifact. And I didn't really get into why it's called the Koso okay. Artifact. It's called the Koso Artifact. Uh, where was I? <laughs> Andrew is quoted saying, if it is, quote, an example of unknown tech from many millennia before the accepted emergence of Homo sapiens, let alone the dawn of human history, it would wipe out pretty much everything scientists know about our species past. So, what do you think? I'm sorry. That, I, yes. Like but the, also the no. quote's like, if it's alien, changes everything. Yeah. Yes, yes it does. Yes, yes, yes it does. It does. Um, a really weird old fossil is my guess. Okay. okay. So geologists are pretty certain that this is not proof of ancient civilization sure. or alien visitors. They never like anything cool. No, they don't. Uh, this, this phenomena that they think happened is called concretion. 
uh, sediment builds up in successive layers around something like a shell or a rock. And this is a quote from Alexis Licht, Licht, uh, an assistant professor at the University of Washington Department of Earth and Space Sciences. They say concretion can can create extremely symmetrical and pristine shapes. So people think it's human and no nature can create such a thing. As for the mysterious item inside the COSO artifact, one researcher, Pierre Stromberg, contacted the Spark Plug Collectors of America what? in 1999. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's a Spark Plug Collectors of America. You know, in Lincoln, Nebraska, mm-hmm. is the National Museum on Roller Skating. <laughs> I need to go. I'm coming home with you for a It's holiday. right next to the Germans from Russia Museum. I'm coming home with you a whole okay. day. Okay, anyway. You will, you would love it. Our teenies are $7. I would love that. I've lived in Denver for too long. What are you, every boy who thought he had a chance with me? Want to come back with me to Lincoln? Okay. I'll become best friends with your mom. Watch me. They'll be in town in two days. Know, We're going to still do dinner. Thursday. Yeah, I have to leave for Steamboat on Thursday. So unless it's like Thursday during the day. LOL, watch you have lunch with my parents before I see my parents. I absolutely would. I want you to know. I'll have to tell them they need to get on the road early. Sorry, we were talking about ancient artifacts. So (laughs) Pierre Stromberg contacts the Spark Plug Collectors of America, and he contacts them in 1999. And Chad Windham, who was the president at the time, identified it as a 1920s era champion brand spark plug. And Strongberg believes that the spark plug came from mining activities in the area around where it was found. So the spark plug kind of ended up in the mud somewhere. This concretion happened and it sat there until Mike Mike sell. Okay, so it's an it. actual spark plug. It's an actual spark plug. That then had a plug. bunch of sediment build around it. And happened to have fossils. So they found trash. With fossils. Okay. <laughs> there actually was an article. Whoa, what a really like, short episode there, Maya. Thanks so much. You can <laughs> find us on... I think an article from the Smithsonian was one of my sources that was like, the one time we thought trash was proof of aliens. Uh, And we're not talking about Elon Musk. Um, Get it? I take that so seriously. (laughs) So uh, these kinds of artifacts come and go, obviously. Everyone, I think, has heard of some... Dirty, mud-riddled trash comes and go? Potential proof of aliens uh, or ancient civilizations. That's what we mean. Okay. Yes. Uh, some of these have explanations that are obvious because the geologists and all of the spark plug enthusiasts agree that this is not some ancient artifact. Uh, some, however, don't. Things like the Koso artifact are referred to by um, archaeologists as O O P A R T, which I read as Upart. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's called an out-of-place artifact. And they're often used by pseudo-archaeology to fuel fringe ideas like this idea that there was ancient civilizations or aliens visita- vid- visited us in prehistoric times. <laughs> but while this Koso artifact is a little laughable, to be fair, there are many artifacts and experiences that don't have explanations. For example... <clears throat> We're going to Tuscany, Italy, babes. Okay. October 27th, 1954. Okay, so right before. Right before, yeah, right before. The Owens Lake object. Yes. The Florentina Football Club is playing their local rivals, the Pistoi. Pistoi? Pesto? Yes, Pesto Club. Uh, (laughs) It's P-I-S-T-O-I-E-S-E. They're... 
there's a there's a soccer game. Okay. This is what's happening. <laughs> there are 10,000 people watching the soccer game in Stadio Ar- Artemi Your Franchi. Your commitment to names I know, I, is admirable. Thank you. There, there are 10,000 people are watching this game in a stadium. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> just after halftime, the entire stadium falls silent, which you've ever, if you've ever watched a soccer game in Europe, it's almost never silent. Right. Either one of one or other of the team supporters are like chanting, you right. know? Um, so it was completely silent. And then... Uh, the spectators begin shouting and pointing up at the sky to the point where the the play completely stops. The ball rolls to a stop. All the players are also looking. And play was suspended, according to the referee report for this game. Uh, one of the players, Ardico Magnini, uh, who pl- had played for Italy in the 1954 World Cup, so just before this, remembers this experience vividly when he speaks to news sources. He says, quote, It was something that looked like an egg that was moving slowly, slowly, slowly. Everyone was looking up, and also there was some glitter coming down from the sky, silver glitter. We were astonished. We had never seen anything like it before. We were absolutely shocked. Another account from Gigi Boni, uh, who was a fan, a spectator, was there. He recalls, quote, they were moving very fast and then they stopped. It all lasted a couple of minutes. And I would like to describe them as being like Cuban cigars. They just reminded me of Cuban cigars in the way that they looked. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. He was like, I am trying to quit nicotine. <laughs> He's like, oh, I recognize these before. Oh, it looks like a sky. Ah, Havana. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was also not an isolated event. There were numerous sightings of these things in the sky in many towns across Tuscany that day and over the next few days. There are also a few accounts of a ray of white light seen in the sky coming from Prato, which is north of Florence. Roberto Pinotti, who's president of Italy's National UFO Center in 2014, says, quote, It is a fact that at the same time the UFOs were seen over Florence, there was a strange, sticky substance falling from above. In English, we call this angel hair. The only problem is that after a short period of time, it disintegrates, which means they couldn't, like, study it easily. Right. So, Pinotti witnessed this phenomenon when he was 10 years old. It wasn't clear if this was, like, the same phenomenon or if it was a different phenomenon where the same thing happened. And he recalls, quote, I remember in broad daylight seeing the roofs of the houses in Florence covered in this white substance for one hour, and then, like, snow, it just evaporated. Yeah, they saw rain. That's what we're talking about, right? They saw clouds that rained a little. No, because it's it sticks to the ground. Okay. You'll, you'll we'll get more descriptions. Um, others describe this white substance as similar to like cotton wool or cobwebs. Um, a journalist at the Florentine newspaper La Nozione, Giorgio Battini, received hundreds of phone calls about these sightings on this day. Um, from his office, though, he couldn't see the sky well due to the surrounding buildings. So he went to the top of his building and recalls seeing, quote, shiny balls moving fast towards the dome of the cathedral. So he then goes outside and comes across some of this white sticky substance that's on a piece of wood. And he can't collect it because as soon as he touches it, it disintegrates. Okay. And so he rolls up several samples on a matchstick somehow and brings them to the Institute of Chemical Analysis at the University of Florence. And he was not the only one with this idea. There are a lot of people that found ways to collect uh, collect it. it. And then, um, so this is what it looked like in the test tubes. Oh, that's much thicker than I thought it was going to be. Would you describe it to the people? Um, 
You know how when you pull a tissue out of your pocket that yeah. went through the it's washer? It's like wadded. Yeah, it's like, but it's like yeah. rolled a yeah. little, and it you can't tell it used to be a flat square. Yes. It looks like they took a bunch of tissues that went through the dryer yeah. and shoved them in a test tube. Yes, exactly. Um, so... At the lab, Professor Giovanni... I'm getting good at describing things. Yeah, you are. <laughs> at the lab, <laughs> Professor uh, Giovanni Canary took the samples. Oh, I also want to mention, we post these pictures on our website, sometimes a day later. Uh, mm. But if you're listening and you're like, I need to know what this white sticky substance looks like, it's on our website under show notes. Also, uh, I will try, try to post some of these on our Instagram, too, when we post oh, stuff yeah, yeah, on yeah. Wednesdays. I'll try and make sure you have them. Okay, so Giovanni Canary, the... Er, <laughs> I mean, it is canary, but it, I just said it and it hit me. It's C-A-N-N-E-R-I, so it's not like canary, but it it's is. canary. Canary. I'm so sorry if, if that was offensive you. to uh, everyone who's Italian. So he takes the samples and runs a spectrographic analysis on it, and a spectrographic analysis will kind of, it'll have peaks on it, and it'll, based on where those peaks lie, kind of tells you the uh, mass density yeah, of the naturally. kinds of atoms. I'm, I'm, Who doesn't know any of this? That's why I'm telling <laughs> Me, you. I don't know any that's of this. That's why I'm telling you. I know, and I'm making I'm fun of my own flick stupidity. you in the head. <laughs> I, am the, I am the butt of both of our jokes. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, with spectrographic analysis, before Grant interrupted me, you run it through this machine, and it like shoots some waves at it or some shit. I can't remember what they do, <laughs> truthfully. I remember studying them. But there, there'll be different kinds of peaks. The peaks will occur at different areas along the graph, and based on where they occur, it'll tell you kind of the, the atomic mass of what the thing that you're testing is made up of. And so through this analysis, he concluded that the specimen was made up of boron, silicon, silicone, silicon, however you want to say it, calcium and magnesium, and also that it was not radioactive, which is good to know. <laughs> so a lot of people believe this is proof of aliens because they can't explain shit. It's a UFO. <laughs> and what just f flew down from the sky? What could that possibly be? So skeptics who don't believe that this is proof of aliens, plenty of people, right. say A, extraterrestrial UFOs aren't real. And B, this white stuff must be just migrating spiders. Uh. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I'd actually prefer it to be aliens <laughs> if that's the other option. Girl, same. What? Calm down. It's not aliens. It's a bunch of spiders out to get you. Yes. So burn it down. <laughs> I'll show you a video in a second. But James Magaha. What is with these names? I can't pronounce a single one. It's M C G A H A, and the G is capitalized. Yeah, He's a U.S. Air Force pilot and turned astronomer, says, quote, the spiders use these webs as sails and they link together and you get a big glob of this stuff in the sky and the spiders ride on it to move between locations. They just fly on the wind and these things have been recorded at 14,000 feet above the ground. Why, so spiders? <laughs> Why? Why? So when the sun, the sunlight glistens off of this, you get all kinds of visual effects. As some of this stuff breaks off and falls to the ground, this seems magical, of course, but I'm fairly confident that this is what happened that day. So here is a video of this happening. Uh, oh. It just kind of looks like dust coming, coming through the sky, but you can see these white particles. This is called ballooning or floating. <laughs> And yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You can kind of see those are those. That's creepy when you know that it's just it's just a bunch spiders. of spiders. I'm sorry. It's reminding me. I think it's oh, who does it? Who sings it? Yes, Joni Mitchell. That's what I thought. Mm. Reminds me of the Joni Mitchell song. <laughs> I've looked at clouds <laughs> from both sides now. And I would rather absolutely not, not actually look at it's those clouds. floating spiders. We'll get there. Well. Probably not. It's prob- Maybe. Oh, so we just now know that spiders can float, but we don't know if that I mean, was it, floating it spiders. it is possible that it's still floating spiders. A lot of people believe that it's floating spiders. <laughs> what? However, the spectrographic analysis of this angel hair, as they apparently call it, kind of refutes this claim that it's spider silk because spider silk is an organic compound containing nitrogen, calcium, hydrogen, and oxygen, which does not match up with the analysis produced. And scientists agree it doesn't seem like spider silk, although they don't necessarily believe the UFO idea either. Oh, good. I'm glad they haven't decided it's aliens, then, if it's not spiders. It's ne- They don't know. They don't know. And so the two elements found in angel hair, two of the elements found in angel hair, if you remember, it was um, boron, silicon, calcium, and magnesium. Mm. Boron and silicon are two elements that are not commonly found in living bodies. So it is unlikely that they came from living spiders. And if you'll remember, there are samples collected from kind of all over the area because multiple people brought in samples to the scientists. Right. So it's not like just one of them happened to have boron and silicon. Do you know what I actually think it is? Do mm-hmm. they actually ever, first off, before I say this, do they come up with an answer? No. Okay, so here's what my actual theory is. It's the 1950s. There mm-hmm. is no such thing as the Clean Air and Water Act, in That's part because we're not in the United States. That's true. Um, some company dumped a bunch of chemicals they were not supposed to in an open surface pond, and then it evaporated and formed a cloud, and then foamed all over yeah, Florence. Yeah, but then why does it have this substance? Because clouds don't really form at ground level and they won't stay for no, a couple No, but if hours. you evaporate, it could like then build up in the... I mean, you know, I'm not a scientist. This is humanity's major talking right now. But like it evaporates, it like forms a cloud above where it's like been evaporating from because it's like heavier than... like I don't know, but I think that's what it is. I think it's pollution. I think I, that's assault. I think your reasoning for how it got there doesn't make any sense. How it got from the ground into, into the, the air. Into the sky and then into the sky. Well, I'm not a magician. What am I supposed in, to? And looking like a tissue, bro. Sometimes rain smells weird. Like, I don't know. Like, you know. Yeah, but it's rain. It's not tissues. I've looked at clouds <laughs> from both sides now. Anyway. <laughs> it's pollution. That's what I think. Okay. Also, there's like, has to be 10,000 World War II tanks still in northern Italy at this point. Like, all that rust can't be good. It's, it's definitely humans. We are our own invasion. So... There are no theories. There, sorry. There's one. There are <laughs> theories that explain this phenomena, but there are no theories that has been widely accepted as an explanation for what happened. And likely it will continue that there will be no theories as to what happened or no evidence. And it's never happened again. I think sometimes the silk has been connected to UFOs and people can't explain it. Like the same thing has happened elsewhere. Elsewhere. And so okay. I think. If it's not UFOs, which, I mean, that's a whole other argument, um, I think it, whatever it is, is like the spiders forming the shapes <laughs> of the UFOs, which and somehow has inorganic elements in it. I don't know. Anyway, this next transition is about to uh, not make any sense. Are we still on spark plugs? Are we now on floating spider gangs? We've now just talked about two pieces of evidence that people use to explain aliens. Okay. And now we're going to get into what I actually wanted to talk about. Oh, shit. Okay. 
and I'm not going to tell you it yet. So today, my dear listener, we are talking about my second worst fear next to the deep ocean. <laughs> the deep space? Space. <laughs> so are there plenty of fish in the sea that is space? All right. Well done. Well Thank done. You. Well Thank done. You. I love how I did the tiniest little thing possible and you're now doing the biggest thing I couldn't possible. also do something that lives in the water. I think you, you could have done fish. I think it would I have been really have, funny. I could have, but then I would have been uncomfortable I, for so many more hours. Part of me really wanted today's episode to be a deep dive into salmon brown. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, after that, he met his ancestors on the docks. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay. Um, okay, so we're talking about, are we talking about the Fermi's Paradox by chance? Maybe. Okay. I'm, I'm here to listen. Okay. So, uh, what do you think, Grant? Do you think there are aliens out there? See, I don't know. And I actually shared a little bit of thought of this during the Devil in the Details. Mm-hmm. I do think there is probably other living organisms on other planets. I think there's like a really strong likelihood that it's a bunch of like guppies and bacteria around like a thermal vent at the center of that planet or whatever. Do I think there's like cities and things like that? I don't know. I don't. It's also like, I don't know if I, oh, I haven't explained. Sorry, I've started four sentences. I'm going to hit it to you with this. Okay. I think space is huge, and we have a really hard time putting a sense of time onto space. Just when you can factor in like distance and things like that. I'm sure other versions of intellectual life have existed at times elsewhere, or maybe will in the future. I don't know if it's happening at this exact Mm -hmm. second. I had a student ask a very similar question actually uh, late last week. And I gave them this explanation and it's one of my favorites. You can have a mouse, right? And that mouse can be in a cage and it understands that cage perfectly. It's like, this is my wheel, that's the food, this is the bedding. I understand this cage that I'm in. But if you were to take that mouse and put it on an airplane, it would have no ability to even understand the context of what's it on, even though we fully understand how airplanes work. For the mouse, it would have no ability to even enter that conversation. I think at some, this is now shower thoughts, I think at some like astrological level, we are mice on airplanes. I love that. Perfect. <laughs> Sorry, so his answer was, specific. I don't know. Oh, yeah, but like poetic. Yeah. Poetic, perfectly. <laughs> like, I don't know, Taylor's version. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah, what no, you I, I loved it. It was a good explanation. I like the metaphor. So lucky for us, scientists also <laughs> don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, we keep asking them about foam. And, and they're like, oh. <laughs> Spiders. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of theories, hypotheses, and questions out there being investigated, and one of the most famous questions was posed in the summer of 1950. And in order to get to 1950, I first need to take you back to 1943. Okay. Do you know what was happening in America in 1943? <laughs> I do know a yeah. lot about what was happening in America in 1943. Specifically in weapons. Yeah. I mean, so, gosh, where do we even begin? We're about to invade North Africa from the Atlantic Ocean. We are busy building tanks, but a lot of our weapons manufacturing is in the interior to protect it from potential air attacks, which Mm -hmm. means um, 
Anything that we build needs to be thin enough to travel through train tunnels on the east and west coast. And so, like, the reason why the Sherman tank looks the way it does is that it could go from factories like in Iowa and Chicago mm. and, like, pass through mountain mm. passes on either side of the country. That's appalling. Um, I don't want to think about a tank going through a mountain pass. Do you know what's actually crazy? Do you know what set what? that gauge? No. Uh, Roman horse and buggies. <laughs> like the size of the modern size of tanks. The car. Oh. Is the size of modern tanks, tanks is if you keep like tracing the history back is the size of like a Roman. I guess wagon. that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Um <laughs> sorry. What I, I was aiming that was, for. Okay, I was gonna say you don't seem satisfied with my no, answer. I, I've learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot. None of those are on my notes. I was going for the Manhattan Project. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Nuclear weapons. Yeah, nuclear that's weapons. Nuclear weapons. So in 1943, Robert J. Oppenheimer set up a secret lab in Los Alamos, New Mexico, with the task of creating a fission bomb, which would then eventually become the atomic bomb. Among the people that were recruited were all science experts, a lot of them in physics. Edward Teller, Enrico Fermi, Emil Yonopinsky, mm. and Herbert York. Together with the rest of the Manhattan Project, they created the first atomic bombs, which were then used on Hiroshima and then a version of it used on Nagasaki. After the war, after seeing the effects of their work, many of the members of the Manhattan Project were not interested in further work in developing similar destructive <laughs> nuclear weapons. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, fucking crazy how that works. Uh... Until 1949, when the Soviet Union exploded their first atomic bomb, and thus the Cold War. I mean, soon, but uh, <laughs> Edward Teller, who had been on the original Manhattan Project, had been interested, if you watch the movie Oppenheimer, it's the guy that consistently was like, let's use hydrogen, and everyone was like, shut up. Not the hydrogen guy Not again. That, yes. So that's, that's that guy. Uh, he had been interested in creating a hydrogen bomb even during the Manhattan Project, and now he pushed for it because he was like, the Soviets are on to us. We need to make something worse right. than what we already made. The Atomic Energy Commission's General Advisory Committee, which included uh, Enrico Fermi and was headed by Oppenheimer, voted against the program to create what would then be known as the hydrogen bomb or the H-bomb. Mm. But upon the reveal that one of the Manhattan Project scientists, Klaus Fuchs, had been spying for the Soviets since 1942, which therefore meant that the Soviets already knew America had an interest in creating the H-bomb. This sent Hen Henry Truman into a tizzy, and he ordered the go-ahead on the creation of the H-bomb in order to stay one step ahead of the Soviets, sure. since because they think that America's interested, they, they think America's going to create it, and therefore they have to they're going to create yeah. it. Uh, and so Teller went back to Los Alamos to head up the uh, task force to create it. Fermi, along with another scientist, Isidore Rabi, opposed this, writing, um, such a bomb, quote, becomes a weapon which in practical effect is almost one of genocide. It is necessarily an evil thing considered in any light. But on the orders of Truman, Fermi did go back to Los Alamos to assist, but with the hope that such a weapon would prove impossible to construct. So we're going to leave this story here because we're where I want it to be. Okay. But, spoiler alert, the H-bomb was possible. It was created, but has never been used in battle by any country. It was tested by Teller and the colleagues at Enowatak Atoll in the Pacific on November 1st, 1952, and it yielded an explosion equivalent to 10 million tons of TNT. Oof. And to put it into perspective, the atomic bomb, which had already done 
unspeakable damage was equivalent to 2,000 tons of TNT. Oh so it God. is 500 times more powerful. This is the reason it was probably never used because everyone kind of collectively was like, holy oh, shit. Oh, we made something too big that's, and too dangerous. That's too much. Oh my God. Yes, and there's a whole lot of other shit you can get into with that. But what I want to talk about, summer of 1950, uh, Edward Teller, Enrico Fermi, Emil Yonopinski, and Herbert York are at Los Alamos having lunch. As they do. And they're doing what scientists do. They're talking about (laughs) random shit. I remember that scene from Big Bang Theory. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There were so many moments I could have gone full Big Bang Theory on you, and I want you to know I didn't. Because I only watch it when I'm at home and my parents are cooking something. I love Big Bang Theory. It relates to me as a person. Uh, No, just me dealing with men all the time. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So they started discussing, like, hypotheticals. Not even about the bomb. Like, just hypotheticals about, like, where could we see science, physics, going in the future? Do we think these things are possible? And one of the things that they discussed was the likelihood of faster-than-light interstellar travel, Mm. like things that have been depicted in movies. And Teller recalls Enrico Fermi asking the, quote, unexpected question, where is everybody? Mm. Fermi's point here was that if interstellar travel was possible, why have we not been visited by aliens? Why do we have no proof? But upon asking that question, it became a much bigger issue. Uh, when considering the various probabilities, such as those of Earth-like planets, intelligent life, and the lifetime of intelligent civilizations, Earth should have already been visited many times by aliens. According to what, Fermi? Statistical analysis, like the universe is so big and there's a certain range away from a star that it makes a planet habitable to life. Uh, Right, the Goldilocks zone, I know that. Yes, the Goldilocks zone, that it doesn't make sense that there's so many planets that are capable of hosting life. Why have none of those life forms been able to contact us? Because the amount of time everything has existed and where we're at, we should have been contacted already. Right. Um, And we haven't heard anything or no solid proof we've seen ufos but whatever (laughs) uh and spiders from the sky anyway so i brought up the manhattan project not just to talk about bombs but because this question fermi posed will become the fermi paradox and we're going to talk about what that is if you don't know what that is. And we're going to talk about all the details. We're going to get mathy with it. Okay. I was like, do Did I talk about... Did you bring a whiteboard? About... <laughs> I thought about it. You could have asked me. I could have found one. I have expo markers. I thought about it. That's one of the few things I have access <laughs> to. really fair. Um, I was like, do I talk about math on the podcast? And I was like, Grant talks about history. All Fuck the it. time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's all. It's my entire last two, three episodes have been like. It just becomes a lot harder to visualize things when I have to describe graphs. Uh, anyway. My boss today during our coaching meeting mm-hmm. was like, when did you, when do you plan normally? Like, when did you, when did you decide to do this lesson? Like the John Brown lesson. I was like, hmm. I'd had that plan for a while. Um, had been collecting a lot of research on it beforehand. That's why I think the lesson went so well. <laughs> um, decided the night of. Recorded the episode. I was like, this let's is it. hear it. This it was is interesting episode. stuff. Thank you. Yeah, it was a I good liked episode. Thank I you. liked it too. <laughs> the um, kids loved the classroom version of it the next day. <laughs> um, so I brought up Fermi's work in the Manhattan Project <laughs> because, because 
a lot of people hear Fermi's name, think the Fermi paradox, at least people that aren't involved in physics or science. Right. Um, and I want to point out that Fermi paradox was not his life's work. He literally posed this question in like kind of a at, at lunch, <laughs> like talking about the possibility of interstellar travel. Like this was not what he was focused on. He was sure. not focused on aliens. He was focused on physics. And he had a lot of really cool and significant contributions to the world of physics. Uh, and... The Fermi paradox just happens to be one of the better known ones by like common people that don't under like aren't really deep into the physics of it. That's right. I'm common. <laughs> healthy, young and healthy is what he said. Uh, so there are other things that are named after Fermi, like a lot. Oh really? A lot. I was surprised. I knew that there were a couple things named after Fermi, but I googled things named after Fermi. There's a Wikipedia page, guys, that is like things named after Enrico Fermi. Anyway, so he was a, a busy guy. He was a busy guy. He did. He won the Nobel Prize before he even got onto the Manhattan Project. Oh crap! Okay. Like he did a lot. Uh, there's a the unit of a length of a particle is called a Fermi, so it's a unit of measurement. Okay. There's a Fermi Lab, which is the Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory, the Fermi Arc, the Fermi Constant, the Fermi Contact Interaction, Fermi Interaction, Fermi Motion, and like literally pages of just things named after him. Whether it was because he discovered it, he did a lot of work in it, or someone else like took his inspiration and named it after him. Anyway, he has a lot of contributions that are not the Fermi Paradox. And if you <laughs> asked him, you're like, hey, what do you think about the Fermi Paradox? He'd be like, I'm sorry, what? What is that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but back to the Fermi Paradox, because that's what we're talking about. <laughs> are we alone? <laughs> no one is alone. <laughs> Singing podcast. <laughs> Meryl Streep. Um, <laughs> did you see Trevor Noah's like intro at the Grammys? No. I just like listened to it because I didn't watch it because I forgot. Anyway, he like was going through all the famous people in the crowd and he wanted to introduce Meryl Streep, but she wasn't in her chair yet. And as <laughs> she's introducing him, he, she walks up behind him and she apologizes to him. And he's like, you don't need to apologize. <laughs> You're Meryl Streep. You're Meryl Streep. As yeah. Cam once said on Modern Family, yeah. Meryl Streep could play Batman and she be the right choice exactly and then so he she kisses him on the cheek apologizes like in his ear and he was like you know what we're at the oscars but that interaction just won a grammys <laughs> i'd like to thank my parents <laughs> anyway are we alone in the universe right we're back to that okay maya hates the deep ocean and i think i actually hate space a little less which is probably why i did this because you know um, there's less of a chance of you being in it i think it's because it yeah probably because it's not as close to me Okay. Like, there's probably no chance in my lifetime I'm going into space. Sure. There's definitely a chance in my lifetime I'm going into the ocean. Unless you're, like, on a plane that, where the pilot's like, actually, I think I want to launch us into space. Uh, that's not how air works. I know. Okay. <laughs> Earth has existed. I'm almost sad if you think I think that's how planes I work. I was like... If at any moment, I'm like, this could go into space. <laughs> Are we going to Mars? <laughs> <laughs> So Earth has existed for 4.5 billion years. The Milky Way has a diameter of around 100,000 light years. And I'm not going to do the math of how wide that actually is, because in truth, I don't think I could tell you. <laughs> so assuming that a civilization could achieve speeds of 100th the speed of light, the whole galaxy that that planet or that civilization is in could be colonized in about 10 million years. Okay. So, Earth is much older than this, which means that there's plenty of time for this kinds of colonization to happen, meaning we should have been visited 
at least once right. by now in our in our only History. the Milky Way. It only takes ten million years to colonize. Well, we were, and they gave us a mud wrapped spark plug <laughs> from the nineteen tens <laughs> to like, remember them by. Here. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be baffled. Here you go. Here you go. And then they we, created the spark plug. We've been paying attention and we've gotten you your favorite thing. Trash. <laughs> In the midst of the industrial revolution. Right, exactly. We got you your favorite thing. Trash. Sorry, we didn't have cheese where we came from. <laughs> <laughs> Cows just are like exactly. the fish outside of devil's hole. I have actually been thinking more and more about the pupfish yeah. and about just... Their entire world's right there, man. But that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about <laughs> our entire us world on this planet. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, exactly. Mice on a plane, girl. Mice on a plane. So there are ten billion stars in the Milky Way, and about let's say ten percent of them likely have a, a habitable planet that is in that Goldilocks zone okay. that can that's sustain an life. Number of planets in that Goldilocks zone. Yes. And so, given these statistics, there is a good chance that there is extraterrestrial life out there, but the fact that we have not seen any evidence of others out there, that would mean that the probability should be incredibly low for other planets to have life, but the probability that other planets have life is not incredibly low. Right. So why haven't we been visited? And thus, that's the Fermi Paradox. And now we're going to get real into it. Okay. So, there are it's three... Like a, kind of a rushing... T-Doll episode. Russian? 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 You said Russian. I did? Yeah. Oh, I was like, I'm trying to be in on the bit. I don't know what bit you're doing. I also got my I'm Russian like, nesting doll I, out I, of the... I'm like trying to jump into... Wait, from Europe? From, no, from my uh, storage unit. <laughs> it's upstairs. Anyway, there are three hypotheses to answer, to provide a solution Why we have to been the Fermi paradox. One, interstellar travel is impossible. Two, if it is possible, alien civilizations have judged it not worth the effort. <laughs> Which is the funniest one. Absolutely. The aliens were like, well, no. No, let's just explore our deep ocean. You know when you go on a trip and on that last day you're like, get me home. Aliens are like, aliens imagine are if, but we're at a planet and not just <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> They're like, let's, hear me out. Let's not. What if we just stayed at home and kind of looked at it from a distance, you know? That'd be great. That sounds really relaxing. Turn on the fireplace, get a nice hot cocoa. Anyway, number three. <laughs> it's a cold planet. The most appalling okay. technological civilizations did not last mm. long enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they may not completely colonize a galaxy. They may have like colonized enough of it, and then they're like, eh. Sure. We did our we did our due diligence, right. or it's like Alexander the Great, someone killed them, and then they're like, this is enough. This is our empire. Uh, or they bypass our sun, instead choosing to colonize a longer-lived, low-mass star. Like, our star is not ideal. So we're talking about, like, star harvesting right now. No, like, they're choosing a planet that is near a star that okay. is more ideal for their situation, oh, not okay. harvesting the star. Okay, they're looking okay, okay. for a Goldilocks zone that is orbiting around a star that they like more. Cool. Uh, That's, like, different. Okay. Yeah, different. So We're like a pretty girl, just, like, not what they're looking for right now. No, they're, yeah, they're like, you're <laughs> great, <laughs> babes. Um, we saw Donald Trump, and we decided... Okay. Ooh, let's not get okay. invested. And so 
Since Fermi's initial question, it has been expanded upon right. a lot. So now it's not only why haven't we been visited, but why there is no communication or evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence. Right. It's not even like, why haven't we physically seen an alien? It's like, why haven't we even seen a blip in us monitoring space? Right. Like, why have we not noticed anything abnormal? Sorry. I don't know when was the right time to jump in with you this. You can jump in anytime. Okay, I want to share this then. Yeah, go for it. So we had a child do the Fermi's Paradox as an informative as an informative speech years ago. And mm-hmm. these are always really fun for me to coach because you, kind of much like the podcast, you become a small little expert on something, mm-hmm. but with these informative speeches especially, like surface level babes, especially when working with young people. But one of the things that they came up with or that they like kind of shared when they were going through everything is that Earth might have been just extra protected from asteroids and yeah. meteors because yeah. of the larger planets in our solar systems whose gravity would could pull them and that some of these other planets in these Goldilocks zones are just getting are, pounded more regularly yeah. and it's resetting everything back down to mm-hmm. zero. But yeah. we've been shielded from that by and large, save for the dinosaurs, of course. Right. But we saw how like that completely yeah. rechanged um, the culture, civilization. Yeah. No. There was also an article that I found that I didn't actually include in this because it didn't seem super relevant, but um, recently uh, as of, I think, 2022, there was a, a meteor that hit Earth or something came down. And as of 2022, the, like, Society of Space, I don't know, something recognized it officially as not being from our solar system. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is crazy because it, it doesn't prove alien life or anything, but it does yeah. prove that we got hit by something that is, like... From out-out. Out-out. Yeah. Because the, the, like, elemental compositions of it does not align with anything in our solar oh, system cool. or our planet. Isn't that so cool? And that was literally two years ago, so that's nuts. Anyway. Uh, okay. So... There's also part of this as an answer to the Fermi paradox, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence called SETI as like their acronym. Uh, It has been ongoing since 1960, so a decade after Fermi initially posed this question, and they've only had negative results, (laughs) obviously. I think we'd hear if they had positive results. Yes, and they've, all the scientists that have done like side work for SETI has termed this the great silence. Oh. Okay, Jan, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> well, damn, Jackie, I can't control the weather. Are you familiar with the loneliest whale in the world? I have heard, I can't remember. So there's a whale, at least we believe, who is singing at like a frequency. That no one else can hear. That no yes. one else can hear. Yeah. I think we might be the loneliest whale in the world. Our frequency, oh, I'm going to shut No, up. no, no, you're okay, good. Just that our frequencies mm-hmm. are just not at the right there's a, is a theory level about that. or whatever. Mm-hmm. That like what we're putting out can't be picked mm-hmm. up or whatever. And yeah. they're sending out something too and we can't hear it. Yes. Right. Yeah, there is a theory about that. Um, before we talk about that though, we're going to talk math. So I'll be in the bathroom. See you in a little bit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> There's the Drake <laughs> equation, which came about after the Fermi paradox was kind of introduced. It it was proposed by U.S. astrophysicist Frank Frank Drake. Another weird Frank. Drake. Two first names. Yeah, that's Mike Mike Sell. Uh, <laughs> so it was first discussed at the 1961 SETI conference. There, the Drake equation is it counts the number of intelligent civilizations that are out there, at least in the Milky Way, maybe beyond, I'm not 100% sure, but it's represented by the constant that will be represented by N. Okay. And so it is N 
is equal to r star f sub p n sub e f sub l f sub i f sub c l so those are all multiplied together right so n is the number of intelligent civilizations r star is the mean rate of star formation in the galaxy f sub p is the fraction of stars that have planetary systems f sub L, the fraction of planets that are surrounding stars on which life can develop. F sub I, fraction of those planets on which that life becomes intelligent. F sub C, fraction of those planets where intelligent life invents high-tech capable of interstellar radio communication. So they need to be capable of radio comms and then being able to like blast it out into space. And then L is the average lifetime of these advanced civilizations. <clears throat> so we know we have kind of estimates for all these constants, except for L, because obviously we don't know how long right. our advanced civilization is going to last. But as you move down the equation, the, the uncertainty of the constants that we're multiplying together becomes more uncertain. So of the Drake equation variables, the first three are the best known, which is R star, F sub P, N sub E. So R star is 10 per year. That is the mean rate of star formation in our galaxy. Um, F sub P times N sub E is equal to 0 0.1, which is 1 tenth. Um, and that is the fraction of stars with planetary systems and the fraction of planets on which life can develop. So that's 1 tenth. So one-tenth of the stars that have planets around them are able to then also produce life. So we have those first three figured out. The next ones, <laughs> as you move down, so F sub... The longest, meanest solve for X problem out there. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> F sub L, F sub I, F sub C, those are the next three, are more, less confident. We have less confidence in these values, but he, these are the most widely accepted values for these constant. F sub L is one, and that is the fraction of planets on which life can develop. Uh, F sub I times F sub C is the fraction, uh, is 0 0.01, AKA one one hundredth. So that's the fraction of planets on which life becomes intelligent times the fraction of planets on which they develop radio communications. So do they have like a number to this equation? Kind of, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then, so therefore, N, which is the number of, like, intelligent communities out there, is equal to L divided by 10. L is the only variable that we, are like, really don't know the answer to. That's the lifetime of an advanced civilization. So, to be, if we're being optimistic, and every planet capable of producing life produces intelligent life capable of radio communications, then... All three of those variables that we're uncertain about equals one. L equals 10,000 years, say. An intelligent okay. civilization lasts 10,000 years. Then N is equal to 10,000, which means there are 10,000 intelligent civilizations in our galaxy alone, which is fucking insane. But if we're pessimistic, right. and those three uncertain variables equal one one hundredth, then the three multiplied together are 10 to the negative sixth, and L is equal to 1,000, which is way like one significant figure less right. than 10,000. Then N, the number of intelligent civilizations in our galaxy, is 0 0.001, and humanity is alone. Okay. In our galaxy. So we've managed to 
both sides the Fermi's both paradox sides. with math. With Drake, the Drake equation. We're either yes. in a crowded room or we are drifting all alone. But which is it? How do we figure that out? After this break. <laughs> So we have just discovered that either there's 10,000 inhabited planets or In our just galaxy ours. alone. Or just ours. So you'll remember the first three variables of the equation we know. Uh, it's the mean rate of star formation in the galaxy. F sub P times N sub E is the fraction of stars with planetary systems. We know those. What we don't know is how many develop life, how many develop intelligent life, how many develop intelligent life capable of radio. Okay and the average lifetime of advanced civilizations. So those four are all essentially estimates, like educated guesses, sure. but estimates. But any f one of those four could be the reason that we have not been contacted. And so even though life developed on Earth in a few hundred million years after our planet's formation, perhaps it's unusual. Perhaps we yeah. are not the norm. Perhaps maybe we are faster, Maybe we were slower. I mean, faster would explain it better. Slower would not explain why we haven't been contacted. I mean, if you compare us to even species that have lived on Earth, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong here, yeah. dinosaurs roamed this Earth way longer than humans have, mm -hmm. right? And we've developed culture and civilization, yeah. you know. Yeah, so intelligent. In a fraction of the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, sorry, that was the word I was looking no, for. Yeah, you're good. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not offending dinosaurs by saying they didn't have culture, no, right? Like no, part it's of in, like... it's because we're intelligent. <laughs> right, there's like, intelligent life. Yeah. Self consciousness, yeah, yeah, self awareness yeah, 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 is what yeah. we're looking for. <laughs> uh, Casey just said chickens will be sad. Because chickens are dinosaurs. He also refuses to get on a mic because he's a chicken. But he still wants oh, to. That was good. Thank you. That was good. A debate coach. <laughs> <laughs> He's giving Bowser self, or not self-love, but affirmations. He puts his face about an inch away from Bowser's nose and just says, I love you. <laughs> Seems to work a lot for Bowser's self-esteem. I'm not judging it, but it is it is very sweet. So it's like the intelligent life component to it's it. It's the intelligent life and like the, the scope of how intelligent that life is. So the genus of humans, aka Homo, hey. Hey. Uh, has been around. Erectus. Yeah, there it <laughs> no, is. No, that's not the right I one, No, though. it's not. <laughs> but it is now. Uh, it's been around for three million years. It's like a child's podcast, like our humor. Oh, yeah. It's been around for how long? Three million years. Okay, that's a solid yeah. number. Uh, dividing this by the lifetime of Earth gives us F sub I is equal to 1 over 1,000. Homo habilis made their first tools, which is like a subgenre before we became who we are now. Homo right. habilis made their first tools around 2.6 million years ago. And radio has only been around for a century or so. So the ratio of mm. these time frames gives us F sub C is equal to 1 over 26,000. So these are all very small fractions, right? There's also a chance that civilizations just destroy themselves as mm. soon as this kind of communication is technologically feasible. So along with the Drake equation, there is something called the Kart Kardashev scale, and it splits intelligent life into three types. Type one, able to use all the energy available on their home planet. Type two, control and channel the energy of their host star. Type three, access to power equivalent to that of their host galaxy. What do you think we are on this scale? What's that out of one to five or zero to one? It's one, there's one, two, three. And so it's, it can be like anything from 
up to three. So, and is the scale like one, you're going to get one of them, three, you're going to get all three? Yes. Um, you know me. I'm an optimist. I think we're a one. We're 0.7. That's good. That's really yeah. good. I thought you were going to be like, we're a three. Eminent doom is nigh. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're 0.7. I saw that and I was like, ha! Like, part nice. of me is like very much like, I do think for the most part, there's like good people mm-hmm. out there legitimately focused on yeah, the get, issues like at getting hand. getting that power, yeah. Right. And that most people, and now granted, <laughs> I'm sorry if you're going to pause the podcast after I say this. I really do think most people in positions of power or authority or at the head of institutions are in those positions because they want the world to be better. And that for the most part, we have a moral compass that has us all running in the the same direction, maybe not to the same point, Mm -hmm. you know? It's a mantra I repeat to myself when I disagree with like my boss or my boss's boss's decisions. I have to remember, while I may professionally disagree with them, I do not think this person woke up this morning and thought, what's the worst thing I could do for children? And then made that choice. Did I? Even though that's my initial reaction to what they just did. Did I tell you about the cookie monster test when I was giving you my uh, leadership summit speech? Maybe a little bit. What was it? I would like to correct Grant's statement that people who are in power are there because they want to like better the system or they care about the system. And people who are in power wanted... <laughs> To better the system. There's a thing called the Cookie Monster Test. I talked about it in my Leadership Summit speech, but there's a psychologist who uh, studies the effect of gaining power on okay. individuals. And the way that they did this is they took three students of the same like identifiable sex, like the same, I- the way that they identify, uh, into a room. They randomly assign one of those three to be the leader. And then they give them an intentionally boring task to work on for a while. After a little bit, for like half an hour or something like that, someone, one of the experimenters brings in a plate of four cookies. So there's four cookies and three people. <laughs> and they found... That is this a tapas bar? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what they found is the person that they had randomly assigned into that position of power would take the last cookie or sure. the second cookie for themselves. Not only that, though, they were more likely than the others or than anyone else to chew with their mouth open, to smack their lips while they ate, and to leave a mess of crumbs on the table or even like on their sweaters as they ate. And so the idea is that like you can have the best intentions in the world, but some people when they get power will lose their their concern for social norms. But isn't there a sliding scale? Oh yeah. Isn't 100%. like having the second cookie because someone has to have it. Like relatively inconsequential it versus is, like it is. Also, uh, this is just me playing the devil's advocate. No. Who oh, is famous for having advocates? Lack of advocates. Lack of advocates. Love to be the devil's advocate. Famous for his lack of advocates mm-hmm. is something that I like to say to kids when they're just like edge lording in class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I still stand by the idea that I think most people are I think most seeking people, positions of power to make things better. I, I think that sometimes gaining that power has an effect on people. There is another thing but that 0. he... But 0.7. Wow, that's intense. Sorry, keep going. No, there is another thing that I thought was really interesting that I mentioned um, in my Leadership Summit talk that there is... Your empathy comes from a region of your prefrontal mm. cortex. And if you have damage to that prefrontal cortex, a lot of times people will develop something called acquired sociopathy which is where like brain damage leads to sociopathic tendencies right. specifically like increased impulsivity or increased like n- not negligence but like ignorance around social norms so they're more likely to like swear gamble uh like speak inappropriately to people do stuff that is not socially acceptable um people who gain power show those same 
symptoms mm. as acquired sociopathy. They're especially men, I think, typically because yeah, that tracks. They're more likely to flirt inappropriately. They're more likely to curse <laughs> and gamble and all that stuff. Anyway, we're coming back to this. Uh, back to the math. Back to the math. Ugh, I had more poetry thoughts. Haha. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, so we're a zero point seven on that scale. The Drake equation is inconclusive. It like gives us a method to calculate if we are able to get those constants into a, a confirmed area, but it doesn't really tell us a whole lot, okay. right? Be just because we don't know a whole lot. And then um, the Kardashev scale tells us that there are probably three types of societies, but again, it tells us kind of where we are, but we have no proof that there are societies that are type three or right. are type two, you know? So... Some believe that the search for extraterrestrial life is a waste of time and money. <laughs> <laughs> but astronomers uh, respond that barely any of the search has happened at all. So sure. SETI, the search for extraterrestrial life or whatever it is, um, is like, babes, we haven't even started. Like, what do you mean it's a waste of time and money? Sure. We haven't even gotten enough data to prove that it's not going to work. Uh, so Jill Tarter, who's an astronomer, said that when considering the vast number of stars, radio frequencies, and all the other parameters determining if extraterrestrial life exists, it's like deducing if a fish exists by dipping a glass into the ocean. Which if you dipped a glass <laughs> into the ocean, you would never find the devil's hole pupfish. <laughs> you, but you would actually maybe drain some water from the devil's hole. Yeah, and <laughs> which might kill the pupfish, actually. Um, but okay, but here's, here, hear me out, though. Hear my thoughts. Let's say we swing the pendulum into best case scenario. What's best for you, though? Because that's... Right, but that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like, if there really does come a moment where, like, our radio frequencies are able to interact with them or, like, one of our objects is able to spot one of their objects, like, history has proven to us that we cannot touch anything from their world because of bacteria and viruses alone. Not a single soul on this planet would have any kind of immune system built up to anything over there. So even if they are the most empathetic, holistic, well-meaning, intelligent life form, there could never be any interaction between like humans and this other life form simply because of the risk of like a disease wiping us all out. What if they were to able able to send us their like scientific research though over radio waves? Now I'm talking about Arrival and I'm talking about that Amy Adams movie. In order for them to understand, that's like a whole monologue <laughs> yeah, in the movie. Like they understand the, the purpose of a question and the beginning and the ending of a sentence, things like that. Mm -hmm. And what's the individual me versus the collective we kind of things. Mm -hmm. Arrival's a great movie and I watched it on the plane right back from Munich. Yeah, because was I was editing. And I was like, <laughs> anyway, <no. laughs> You were like, I just planned a whole vacation. Anyway. <laughs> Love you so much. Great trip. And she can't respond. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead to the world. <laughs> so Sorry. there have been several solutions. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. So there have been several solutions proposed to the Great Filter. At this point, we're not even talking about what happens if we make contact. We're mm. talking about like, why the fuck have we not been right, contacted? Right, right, right. Like, we'll get to that that when we get to it. We're not there yet. Okay. What's happening? What's happening? Okay, so one of them is called The Great Filter. It's proposed in the 1990s by Robert Hansen. This is not very mathy. So for those of you who don't love the math, aka Grant, you can sit down. Cool. Uh, <laughs> 
Oh, sorry. Did you need my attention? It's not mathy, <laughs> as in you can pay attention. Oh, I thought you said, I heard Grant, you can sit down. And I was like, actually, I'm kind of a little stiff. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> the great filter proposes that there are many critical steps before reaching the point of being able to explore and communicate with others in the universe. For example, you need to develop tools, you need to develop societal structures, you then need to develop a space where scientists are able to do science without having to worry about hunting their own food, mm. because that's how that works. Um, so one of these steps must then be highly improbable or highly unlikely to occur in the natural course of a civilization's development, therefore acting as the great filter that keeps civilizations from getting to a point where interstellar travel or communication is possible. Did you have something to say? You looked like you did, and then I just keep talking. No, I'm just pleased to be here. Okay, excellent. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a cool thought, right? That, like, maybe yeah. we're more empathetic or we're more community-minded. Yeah. In fact, there's that. Okay, no, I do have one Okay, so there was, there is some, there is some evidence to suggest that Homo sapiens mm -hmm. were not actually the smartest of, like, the Homo erectus variety to develop. We were yes. just the ones that were able to survive the best because we were more so than any other variation community-minded. Mm -hmm. And you can find skeletons of, I think, is it Neanderthals or something? It's the one that we beat out. Right, yeah. that have much larger heads and that's can hold, like, larger brains. Mm -hmm. And so there's the thought that, like, individually they might have been smarter, but then there was this whole math equation. You would have loved it. And it was like, you sure, these individuals might be smarter, but if they are far less likely to share their advancement with their community, then you don't actually need a bigger brain. You just need more brains if everyone's willing to share what they know. And so, like, That's the, actually really cool, yeah. Right? Thank yeah. you. So the whole reason why, not the reason why we can explore space or anything like that, but the whole reason our mm -hmm. version came to power, beat out everything else, is because of community. And because someone was willing to do the farming, do the hunting, right. while someone else does the A research. different job. Yeah. And, like, mm -hmm. did the gathering and did, yeah. like, the water foraging and things like that. And that, like... Even within our own planet, that ability wasn't like universal. Yeah. Right, it saved us, and it wasn't universal, mm -hmm. and it it made us special. It made oh us different. God, it's also like a friendly reminder that like, if you're one of those like, boss girl, independent girlies, like yeah. same. Everyone needs a little help. Like our oh species was built on it, and you're not supposed to live in this late stage capitalism hellscape without accepting a little help every or now and then. Or admitting that you're not perfect. Right. Oh my God. And maybe that little help is uh, literally asking your friends to drive you to the airport, or maybe it's that's so real. Or maybe it's like having someone clean your house, yes. like once a month. Yeah. Or it's door dashing a meal when like you need to eat, but the idea of cooking just cannot be surmounted. Like. Me after this. Community. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> the great filter. Uh, what are the potential hurdles that we have, that life has, that to get to a place where a society can develop a communication ability with aliens, right? right. So, it starts uh, a plant or a planet needs to be capable of harboring life. That's uh, hurdle number one. We've passed that. Okay. Hurdle number two life must develop on the planet. Hurdle number three, life must be able to reproduce. Four, simple cells must be able to evolve into complex cells. Five, complex cells must evolve into multicellular organisms. Then sexual reproduction or some other way to promote genetic diversity because evolution, baby. <laughs> Otherwise we all die. Right, like right, the right. pupfish can't sustain <laughs> life when you, the wind blows the wrong the thing. way. I, they are, are they fragile? Yes. Are they also maybe like the undisputed king at living as a fish in the desert? 
Yes. Yes, they are, but it's because they're so fucking fragile. And someone fucking looks at them wrong, they're like, and I'm dead. Anyway, that's why we need genetic diversity, mm. and that's why you can't marry your cousin. On the topic of fish, there is a fish that will just change its sexual organs if uh, yeah. there are no male species There's around. There's quite a few species yeah. that do stuff like that. Well, I'll Evolution. just do it myself. <laughs> Evolution, baby. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, the next hurdle would be complex organisms create advanced technology. Obviously, that's a massive hurdle. That's a massive jump from right. genetic diversity to advanced technology. Right. And then the next hurdle is the civilization must go on to colonize or communicate with other worlds and star mm. systems while avoiding destroying itself. Sure. And that's pretty crucial. So Earth would, by this definition, be considered relatively tech savvy. But if we go back to that other scale, we're not relatively tech savvy, right? right? Um, we're not capable of interstellar travel beyond robotic probes like the Pioneer, the Voyager, the New Horizons spacecraft. But we are capable of advanced radio astronomy, like sending a radio signal into space. Um, but even if other alien civilizations take the same crazy amount of time that it took us to get to this stage, there should be at least a few interplanetary species colonizing their galaxies by right. now. Like even if, even if we're not the norm, there should be a few that are the norm, right. right? That should have gotten to this stage. So why haven't we been contacted by them? So given all of this, what could the great filter be? Um, a biogenesis, life coming from no life, is very uncommon. So kind of what like Grant said earlier, bacteria coming from the sea is not super common. Um, maybe life doesn't commonly arise, um, but it doesn't often evolve, or maybe life does commonly arise, but it doesn't often evolve past simple organisms like bacteria. I wonder too, a little bit, because now this is the curse of my history degree oh, yeah, coming right. in. Yeah. Um, you know, up until about 500 years ago, the whole planet wasn't even aware of the rest of the whole planet. Exactly. And then, I mean, you could make a case that it wasn't until like even 60 years ago that the whole planet had the ability to relatively conveniently communicate with one another. That's why I like your mouse on a plane yeah. analogy so um, much because it's you. like... Because if people are asking me, like, do aliens exist? Like, brother, we didn't think the Earth revolved around the sun. Right. Like, really that long ago. Well, what's even kind of crazy to me is... We are just a little over a hundred years since the creation of we're flight, so young. and we're problem solving how to colonize like the moon and Mars. Yes, right. Like within a hundred years of being able to, with a machine, take Get off into the here, air. Right. Yeah. We're now like, okay, well, how can we create artificial environments, artificial mm -hmm. atmospheres? What do you do about the gravity um, mm -hmm. disproportion between Earth yeah. and the, these other places? We are. Are we maybe have we maybe just hit one of the stars on Mario Kart and we're like like was it like was the fuel on the was the fuel on the fire literally fuel on fire like known as the industrial like but you know what I mean like like what is like like and without anything to compare it to all we have is historical examples and yeah that's why this is like. It's like, are we tech savvy? Right. No, we're not because we barely can use all the fuel on the earth. Or are we tech savvy because we've made it to be an right. intelligent species? Do you know what's actually kind of, okay, sorry. No, History good. degree. Ba, ba, da, ba. Like, oh yeah, Kool-Aid yeah. man bursting into this conversation. Yeah. When I, for years I taught world history and we taught AP world history. And one of the conversations we'd have is why, 
it was people from the Eastern Hemisphere who sailed to the West and made initial contact and not vice versa. Yeah. Like, and it was part of it was like deconstructing the myth that this just had to happen mm-hmm. or that one group of people was better than the other. Yeah. And one thing that we talked about was that North and South America is very much um, uh Longitudinal, like it's like it's like up down, like you go yeah. through every single latitude. Mm-hmm. But on the east, you have it's all kind of in one, yeah, yeah, one band. So, like for instance, rice can grow in Spain and North Africa and Turkey and Pakistan and it's India really and China. So they and were Indonesia. able to like kind of hive mind it. Correct. Together. Meanwhile, yeah. potatoes can only grow in the Andes Mountains, and they oh, could grow yeah. in North America, but between them is a rainforest. And that doesn't make any sense as to why you would transplant like potatoes. And there's also a lack of pack animals. So you to travel the distance requires you to like literally hoof it. And because you don't have that initial contact between pack animals, yeah. you don't have as strong of a maritime trade. And without maritime trade, you don't have major cities like on the coast. And all of it kind of has huh. to do with just like the geography. And also, if you think about it even further, Further, Europe and Asia are separated by a giant, like, plateau that you can, yeah. I mean, relatively easily in the world of history, cross on horseback, yeah. right? But if you wanted to go from the Andes Mountains to, like, an equivalent distance, like, let's say, the Carolinas, uh, right? Yeah. The, that journey to travel there would take you through so many different biomes and so many different, like, uncrossable really, yeah. territories that... Like, it was just by nature almost structurally impossible to have the kind of intercontinental connection that just because it was then laid sideways in the Eastern Hemisphere, you could do. And huh. so maybe we are just kind of in a North-South America structural system Would that, be the same that we're not able to see. That, like, Africa also didn't like develop as quickly well, as Europe. What's actually so crazy about this is you have to be sorry. No, I'm, I'm so I'm literally so fascinated it's, right now. Uh, you have to be really specific by what you mean by that because North Africa at many times is more really advanced wide. than Europe. Like North yeah. Africa, we're talking about like Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, Egypt. Yeah. Oftentimes these places were more developed, yeah. but that's not true for the rest of Africa. And yeah. why is that? It's because you have the Great Saharan Desert, which is this huge in, like not true, fully impassable, but, but for the for, most part, difficult. impassable area. Similar to like a rainforest, to get, right? Yeah. And so it, that cuts off all of the rest of Africa from the kind of development that you're going to see up north. And the only other region in Africa that experiences something even kind of similar mm-hmm. is the east coast of Africa with like the Swahili people because of their ability to connect with people through um, like maritime trade in India through a highly predictable monsoon season that changes the wind every six months. And so when you think about stuff like that, like Africa experienced to a degree the same kind of geographic barriers that North and South America did. And it completely changes their development. That's fucking, I've never thought about that. That's so cool. There were times when I was like, Oh, I guess I was an okay history teacher. Like, there was every now and then I'd be like, oh, I guess that lesson did kind of tie it all up neatly. That's yeah. Like, that's like not even just <laughs> history, though. That's like, just like, that is science, right. too, of like, why are we the way that we are? And because, so, and also to this day, and this would be how like the lesson kind of ends, warps how we perceive African countries today. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, our perceptions of West African countries are very different than our perceptions of places like Morocco and Egypt right, yeah. because of their connected history to Europe. All, even though their histories aren't longer, we've just been more involved in those theaters, yeah. right? Like Julius Caesar at one point, or maybe it was Mark Anthony, goes to Egypt, right? Yeah. Napoleon invades Egypt at one point. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the wealthiest man to ever exist ever, probably, yeah. comes out of West Africa, the, and we don't know anything about him. 
I only know him because of the history of the world. <laughs> He's like, I'm really rich. And then there's like a camel walking up around the southern desert, like shooting gold. At right. Anyway. So to, sorry, bring it back to plenty yeah. of fish in the galaxy. Obviously, the indigenous people of North and South America weren't aware that they were at some geographic structural disadvantage. Yeah. Much in the same way, would not be shocked if we were at As some disadvantage. geographic disadvantage yeah. that we just could not see because we don't have anything to compare it's it to. It po- could be like the same reason that you said earlier that we're just way too protected. Right. Oh, my God. And the reason why we can't cue into all of this is because we're mice on a plane. Oh, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. I'm so happy right now. I don't think I solved anything, but in my mind, (laughs) I'm like, these are answers that I can sit with and make me happy and don't give me any dread about. Like, it's like, oh, that's a way to organize the world. Yeah, that's why space doesn't bother me, I think, as much as the ocean does, because the ocean, like, its secrets are so reachable (laughs) that it's like... (sighs) You can find religion in space. You find the devil in the ocean. Yes! (laughs) Put that on a sticker! Put it on a sticker! You find the... (laughs) I'm glad that I was able to help clarify some of that for you. I don't know where we are in the I notes. don't either. Okay. So the other great filter kids. <laughs> Sorry. We were talking about the great filter. What could possibly be keeping other civilizations from getting to a place where they contact us? Is it like something along the evolution that stops them? And so there's, there's a lot of potential reason, potential great filters, if you were, uh, do these civilizations eradicate themselves mm. after developing technology, which we literally almost did with the H-bomb. Right. Uh, technology run amok, malevolent AI, nanotech, a doomsday machine like the H-bomb. Humans are currently capable right now of destroying themselves via global thermonuclear war. Right. I also want to point out just because of how close we are to our discussion about colonization of the mm-hmm. Americas. Yeah. I do want to point out that you know, just because Western civilization wasn't destroyed by uh, nuclear weapons doesn't mean we haven't used weapons to fully decimate oh, cultures before. Even threaten them. Right. Yeah. So I just wanted to like, take a moment to be oh, like, yeah. hey, there's a bunch of indigenous cultures in the Americas that we know next to nothing about because we used weapons at the time to, to obliterate them. Yeah. So just like a moment like to pause diseases. and recognize that. Ha-ha. Yeah. Yep. We're really great. And so aliens must sorry. be worse. I didn't mean to like throw you off oh, from no, your good. notes again, but I was like, hey, just real, we, we actually have done that. Yeah, no, yeah, we did. We, we did. I like to think we're different now, but I don't know. I don't. Also, I mean, that history wasn't be. all that long ago either. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. it's terrifying. Uh, so it's possibly, it's more than likely that there is more than one variable that is keeping alien civilizations, should they exist, from contacting us. Um, Earth is capable of radio communications, and so, therefore, we might be past the great filter, meaning we're, like, one in... We're, we're past the statistical probability of us, I don't know, dying. Sure. But we also might be the first species past the great filter. Right. There has to be a first. If it's a bell curve, someone has to be at the far ends at, of both of yeah, them. Yeah, at the, at the beginning, but we also may receive communication... Uh, there's also a possibility that we might receive communication from another far more advanced civilization, which would disprove this theory. Mm. Um, it's also possible that another civilization might have moved way too fast past broadcast technology. Sure. And so they moved straight into cable and re- never really explored radio and therefore just are 
hella civilized and have never <laughs> thought to broadcast radio into space. It's like when teachers visit another teacher's classroom yeah. and you speak in code. It's like, it's out loud, so all 32 ears can hear it, but you speak in code, yeah. and so only the receptors can pick it up. And it's like, Everyone if you're like, mature enough or grown enough to be able to understand the code, then what we're saying to you isn't shocking at yeah. that point. It's not anything too scandalous, yeah. but you know, it's adults in a workplace that are also surrounded by children, and maybe that's what's happening. Where the kids in the class being like, like what? what's happening? Huh? Exactly. <laughs> Write that down. Does anyone know what that means? <laughs> so, some other explanations for the Fermi Paradox. Aliens started their journey to Earth less than two million years ago and are mm. on some of the far reaches. So they literally have not reached us yet. Uh, two, physical difficulty uh, making space travel impossible uh, or infeasible, like astronomy, biology, engineering. Three, Aliens chose not to visit us. <laughs> Three, we are in the prom dress at prom and... Eating pizza in the corner. No one yep. wants to dance with us. Yes. Uh, advanced civilization arose too recently, so they're like maybe behind us mm. in the scheme of They're evolving. wondering where we are. They're like, what the hell is happening? Their Fermi is like, where is everyone? Like one of our satellites yes. is passing their planet right now, and their astrologists are like, that's not supposed to happen. What is that? <laughs> Holy shit! Did it rain foam? It's spiders. Callback. <laughs> but it's not spiders. They're in their It's evolution. aliens, it's and like, it's us. Yes, exactly. Uh, another another uh, explanation is aliens have already visited Earth in the past, but we have not been aware of them. Mm. Chilling. Anyway, that 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 hits me like the ocean does a little bit. Um, what, that they came, hung out for a little bit, and That they came, and, and that we just have no idea that they're... It's because it's reachable, right? It's like, it's like here. The evidence is here, and no one has done the work. Sorry, that's just the plot of War of the Worlds, and I refuse I to be scared of a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> I get it. I understand that it's irrational. Here are some more unhinged solutions to okay, the Fermi good. paradox. <laughs> Poetry hour done. <laughs> they were here, and they left evidence. <laughs> Two, they are us. They were here, and they're queer. Yep. Or we are them. Okay. We are the descendants of them. But then where did we come from? <laughs> and why don't we have any like oral or written history of exactly. it? Exactly. Uh, these next two, m these next three drive me bananas. Uh, we are in a zoo cut off from any contact intentionally. Good. I'd love that. <sighs> Sorry. I don't, I don't know how that's scary. Do you know what lives way past when it's supposed to? Zoo animals. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I don't know. I understand know. that. <laughs> but the fact that someone is watching us. Yeah, of course. We live in the United States. Of course someone's watching us. Okay. Also, there's a camera pointed at us. Right. I don't know what I'm talking about. And also, your phone scans your face before you can read I'm your not, little text. I'm not worried about technology watching us. I'm not worried about other humans watching us. I'm worried about something that we have no documentation of that I can't Google that is watching me. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Sorry, this episode and last episode has really kind of opened up the cover as to the differences between you and I's internal I lives know. a little bit. I'm like, how beautiful, wonderful. I do hope that we are entertaining to the people who come and watch us. I hope we bring joy to others. And you're like, what the hell? Let me out! Let me out! And I'm like, no, it's cold in space. Like, I'm <laughs> fine. I saw, this, I saw this video of a penguin. It was actually an old woman petting a penguin. And the penguin was like... 35 years old and they don't live past like 15 usually yeah. i would love to be that penguin 
love to but be like that we don't know that like we don't i mean we know that we're living past when humans right should we're either live, being protected but... and taken care of or we're not honestly i'm actually not kind of pro zoo argument i've kind of back myself i'm like wait you mean no one's protecting us that's scary <laughs> but now another unknown alien civilization has intentionally blocked us from any outside knowledge what are we missing like, out like listen i hate to be that guy but like if I, I go to work every day, I interact with my friends, and then at night, if I have some baby bell cheese and a little bit of TikTok time, like, great, what else am I missing? I already I live like life it. better than, like, 90% of the world's population, like at it. least. I don't like it. What, what do we not like about it? I don't like that I don't know. Listen, do you, I, some of my class periods have a lot of fun, and some of my other class periods don't. And the ones that don't have fun have no idea what they're missing out on. We're period five. <laughs> And by that, I mean having a great time. Do you need that cut? No. Okay, cool. If any of them listen, they this already far? know. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, the next one that makes me uncomfy is that they're signaling and we don't know how to listen. That one makes me less uncomfy because, I mean, yeah, we don't know. We, we don't know. Um, the third one that I think this one makes me really uncomfy, communication is dangerous. <laughs> Because there is one species that has killed all the other species mm. that has communicated. Sure. I hate it. I don't like how comfortable he is right now. I think he might be the species well, here's that's the killing thing. the rest if, of us. Well, you're queer. Um, uh, <laughs> this is going to sound so dark. I think if there's a species that can do that, they've gotten probably pretty good at it, and it'll be pretty quick. And, like, what am I going to be able to control in all of that, you know? I'm not worried about my personal control. I'm more worried about just, like, I think what I really hate, what I really hate is, like, the inability to even, like, have any understanding of what's happening. And that's why I hate the deep ocean so much. It's, mm -hmm. like, the evolution of deep sea creatures makes no sense to my sure. brain because I am a land animal. I have legs and lungs and eyes. I think, sorry, go ahead. Space also doesn't make sense to me, and I, I just don't understand the process of how we get there. And I just I just have some questions. Like, they sure. can kill me. That's fine. I'm totally fine. I agree that, like, make it fast. Destroy the Earth. That's okay. I just want to know. I, I think this is, again, one of those moments where, like, for how good of friends we are, the <laughs> difference is so really in us. Because you are a science babe, which <laughs> means you possess the ability to figure this out. And I, mostly joking but not entirely joking, <laughs> suggested Wi-Fi was mostly magnets a couple episodes ago. And I know it's wrong, and I think, I, pro I mean, I have a college degree, so if I sat down and read, I'm sure I could get some loose understanding. I don't have any desire to. I'm like, you know, it is what it is. How, how pretty, you know, I'd like, honestly, part of me, I came to this conclusion a couple minutes ago when we were talking. Yeah. I didn't want to say it out loud. No, that's okay. Part of me kind of almost hopes we're alone because if we are, then I'm taking... God, this is so Norman Rockwell. I'm sorry. But like when I was <laughs> a kid in the summer, we would go camping out by a lake with some mm -hmm. friends and we'd go swimming at night because um, it's a very small lake. It's not like there's any yeah, boaters or anything. Uh, yeah. And you would float on your back and you would stare up into space and you could see the stars. And there's an element of that where it's like, oh, if that's the shared experience we're all having then I think that's really tranquil, and I think that's really peaceful, and I think it makes that memory of that night or the experience of living on Earth, like, all the more special. I think what bothers me is, like, I agree with you. Like, I, I almost prefer that we're alone, mostly just because that means we have so much exploration, like, for the right. taking. Like, we're free to do whatever without any real consequences that, like, 
I don't know, we have no say in, right? But I think what drives me bananas is the fact that there is danger out there that we don't understand. <laughs> like sun flares, like, or supernovas, and like that kind of thing that we, we understand now, but like there is more out there. Sure. Like Greenland sharks. <laughs> just kidding, Greenland sharks are harmless. They just freak are me ancient. out. They're, yeah, they freak me out because of their age. Um, but like there's that danger out there that like we have, we ha because we have no idea what it is, we have no way to protect ourselves from it or no way to even like understand what's happening if we start experiencing the symptoms of that danger. Sure. And that freaks me out. I don't know what it is. It drives me bananas. I love how episode one of the series, I introduce us to the pupfish. And episode two, you're like, we are pupfish. Because <laughs> that's what you're suggesting, right? That is literally right? what it is. Is that like, we are alone in our little pool and have no idea what's happening. And someone might come and vomit on us. And we don't understand what's happening. Sure. The night that we uh, were swimming in the lake and like floating, looking up at the stars. At one point, we decided to skinny dip. And of course, one of our friends stole our clothes. And of course, that was really funny. But it's like, you know. I wish I had that kind means. of experience as a child. <laughs> I'm 18 had, in that story. I well, I had that experience as a 23-year-old, 24-year-old. Sure. And like, it was a great experience. But I wish I had more experiences like that as I was like still coming into who I was. Because I feel like I would be a better mm. person right now. Anyway. I didn't know who I was until about three days ago, if it makes you feel better. Like, most of my 20s felt like a wandering, <laughs> aimless, drunk. I jumped out of a moving car once, girl. Like, I don't, like, I can't. That was at 29. No, that was at 23. I cannot paint to you the picture of like, wait, when did I? Oh, I, uh, I got thrown out of a car okay, when yeah, I was 29. Okay. I willingly jumped, jumped out, out of a car, car. when weird. I was in 23. Like it's, you know, um, I think you just have the experiences. Anyway, <laughs> aliens may or may not be part of our experience. I am, I'm not trying to gaslight you into no. your own fear. It just has posed a lot of questions that I'm like, oh, this is like an you interesting thing to a consider. Lot, like, I agree with every single point you've brought up. I just have more fears. <laughs> <laughs> but that's been like, over the last nine months, a reoccurring. I know, you're just like, so what? And I'm like, it is the large, bold white man in me that's like, what? Like, everything else has always worked out in the past. Why wouldn't it this? And it's the fucking woman in me that's <laughs> exactly. like, if my car's not parked under a streetlight, I'm getting kidnapped. Exactly. And meanwhile, like, for the last two cars I owned, I was like, if my car gets stolen, the insurance is worth more. Like, <laughs> That's fair, babes. Okay, more unhinged solutions for the Fermi paradox. So the last one I said is that communication is dangerous and right. there is a species out there killing everybody that communicates. The next one is they have no desire to communicate. Ouch. Huge vibes. No, huge vibes. I mean, vibes. like, I get it, but, like, okay, I have a lot to provide but it's fine. Um, the next one is, this is like chilling in its own way, is that everyone is listening and no one is transmitting. Hmm. Which is like, ooh. That's that like, interesting. I know, but like there's a lot of planets out there that are all like, why is no one contacting us? <laughs> because, here's a fun fact, we are not transmitting. Earth is not transmitting anything. Oh, really? Because, well, that's, that's wise. Yeah, SETI has determined that they should not transmit unless there's an international consensus that we should. Right. And so we're listening. Look at us to consent. That's I know. good for us. I know, right? Uh, like, that's smart, but it's also, like, chilling that, like, 
we're upset that because maybe no one's communicating with us, but maybe everyone else is also upset and they're mm. all listening and everyone else also has a similar dichotomy or like similar relationship where there's a lot of different societies and they're like, well, we shouldn't unless everyone decides it. And so no one is shouting into the void and we're all like, why is no one shouting into the void? It's the plot of that Taylor Swift movie where she's in her bedroom window with yeah, like a, with sign, a sign and he's in yeah. his. Romeo, take me somewhere we can I was trying to think of the opening chords. Yeah, I don't remember the opening chords, but I do remember the song. We were both young when I first saw you. There it is. Okay. An incredible song about the Fermi's Paradox. The last unhinged solution is they made different math. What? Which is really funny to me because this the explanation for this was like, they made different math. Math is universal, but mm. maybe they use different symbols, different like ways to notate things, and sure. we don't know how to read it, or, or like their waves are different, and so we're not recording it as abnormal or something like that. Um, so we have no understanding of it, which is hysterical to me. There's a culture, and I'm not going to assign a specific region because I have zero confidence on remembering it. But I remember reading, at least briefly, there's an indigenous culture that does not have the words for left or right. I love that. The only words they have in their vocabulary are the directions north, south, east, west. So you'd, you'd be like, hey, can you hand me that thing to your east? Instead of like, can you hand me that thing to your left or whatever? And what they have- Every single woman would be fucked. <laughs> Maya said it, not me. Also, not where my thought process There's been studies. <laughs> okay, okay. No, 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 no. I gotta finish my okay, thing. Okay, okay. The last, the, oh, the only other sentence I was gonna say is you can like, take individuals from this community and even if you put them in a room they have like a much better understanding mm -hmm. as to where east or west is yeah. without having to intentionally track it because they just kind of in the back of their mind it's running the entire time mm -hmm. and i think if language can shape your understanding of the world in such a simple way yeah like of course like a different math system would Could shape, yeah. yeah but go ahead there's what was a, the women thing you were gonna say women <laughs> women understand or remember their directions and stuff in the form of landmarks mm -hmm. right women are more likely to understand like where they are based off of what they're seeing and men are more likely to understand north south east west or like right left that kind of right. thing and that is potentially a cultural thing definitely a cultural thing but also like i can't tell my right from my left half the time one time I, my friend was like and you're gonna turn left here and i got halfway through turning and my friend was like left <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh you're right <laughs> hold on i told the kids because right, some of them are still figuring out their left to rights too. I want you to put your hands up, right? Yeah. I, this is patronizing. Okay, so I all kids have always done this, right? And that's how they know this is left, right? But I had a kid, I go, just put, put your hands up in the shape of an L. And they did this, and I was like, oh my god, I have, they flipped it, I, so it was palms force towards them instead I of had, palms out. I don't know if I've told you this, my, <laughs> when I was learning how to barrel race, I don't know if my instructor gaslit me or whatever, but when you're learning to barrel race, you depending on like the horse that you're riding horses are left-handed and right-handed too if you you would you do a different barrel pattern based off of like what lead your horse is strongest in like what way they run that's sure. stronger and i don't know if my instructor was gaslighting me or not it's possible she was but she was like you're gonna go to the left of the barrel and so i went to the left of the barrel and then she was like no you're gonna go to the barrel's left <laughs> 
Like the barrel's looking at you and it's left. I've never been the same. And then immediately after that happened, like within the same week, someone, some fucking bully or something at my middle school did this. <laughs> never been the same. I have never been able to tell right and left as instinctually. So, since this is an audio platform, if you guys are like, what are they talking about? If oh, you yeah. put two L's up in front of you, it'll tell With you which is left or right. With your finger and your thumb. Right. Yeah. It'll tell you what's left and right. But your palms need to be facing away from you, like yeah. towards your theoretical audience. With your thumb pointing towards each other. Right. If you end up turning your palms towards you and you're making an L, then it reverses it itself. It reverses it. And, and you're just as confused as you Now your right hand before. is the one making the L. Right. And anyway, that's what messed me up. So, I did some research on this because, or not on rights and lefts, but on the modern take on the Fermi paradox. Has there been like modern science that has kind of disproven the Fermi paradox has right. have there been modern solutions to the Fermi paradox in the last like decade or so and I found a journal a scientific journal called the a asymptotic burnout and homeostatic awakening by Michael L. Wong and Stuart Bartlett published in May of 2022 TLDR we still don't know okay. if aliens exist uh, we still don't have a solution to the Fermi's paradox. This is a solution, a proposed solution to the Fermi paradox. We're about to get real mathy. If you thought we just got mathy, okay. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm going to try and keep it as simple as possible, right? Uh, so what they did is they compared, and I think you will find some of this interesting with the way that they compare a global society to a city. So they took a lot of like uh, studies of the way cities differ from like spread out communities, and they kind of compared it to us as a globe. So uh, they specifically reference another journal article or a journal entry, scientific journal called "Growth, Innovation, Scaling, and the Pace of Life in Cities" by. Louis M. A. Betancourt et al. with his like whole group, uh, published in April of 2007. What they found is that in cities, there is a difference in the way humans utilize resources. And so, do you know what a carrying capacity is? Carrying capacity? Mm -hmm. On like a boat? Or like a, or do you mean like okay, an environment? So, yes, an environment. Yes, okay. Okay, so. If you, for example, you're, you have a farm, you have an acre of land, and you have a herd of cows. Right. There's only a certain amount of natural resource in that acre to right. support however many cows. At some point, you're going to have one too many cows for the amount of grass on that acre to feed those cows. Right. Right? And so that number of cows you can host on that acre without then providing supplemental resources to is called your carrying capacity. And so what you'll see is that in nature, a lot of resources will dictate a carrying capacity and you'll get something called sinusoidal growth. We're talking about a graph and I don't want to mansplain to you. And I'm so sorry if you understand a graph, there's an <laughs> X axis and a Y axis. So your Y axis, which is the one that goes up and down is population. And so as time increases, your population also increases as like a side note, um, your population increases and it'll go up and up and it'll slowly start growing more and more because as you get more and more individuals in your population, you're reproducing faster. And so your rate of growth will increase and increase and increase until it starts hitting that carrying capacity and then it'll start flattening out again like a plateau, right? And that is called in math an asymptote. 
if you have watched Mean Girls and uh, Katie is like, the limit does not exist. Right. A limit is that asymptote. So if you were to find the limit of this function, it would be this carrying capacity. Friends, I'm like fairly lost as well. I know what a carrying capacity is yes. that you grow until you hit it and then that's the number you stay at. But essentially, a, a population will, the idea of a limit is that it will never actually hit that carrying capacity. Okay. It will never actually hit that exact number because it'll always be just out of reach, right? Okay. Um, and so there are a lot of resources that will cause a population growth to respond like that, sinusoidally. There is another kind of growth called superlinear, where instead of heading straight or leveling out, It'll just keep growing and keep growing faster. And that's where you get into dangerous things. That means that your time cannot increase. Instead of your population cannot increase, your time can no longer increase. And that's not something that you can dictate and say like, okay, we're gonna stop here and exist at this time frame forever. So X. can I pause for a yeah, second real quick? So I understand some of the map that we just yeah, got hit with. You, I feel free to explain in a way that- Well, I'm asking you a question. Okay, that's fine. Um, so like population will grow. And sometimes as your population grows, your like carrying capacity or whatever might also kind of slowly grow as well. Is that one of the things that you hit us with? Mm -hmm. And that there is a risk that if you grow too fast, you like can't choose to freeze at a time. You have like so overshot it that you're like basically Your resources screwed, are limited. Right, that you don't have the ability to modulate down or yes. to stabilize, but the, mm -hmm. that you've just kind of already spent it and now the consequences are gonna come as they mm -hmm. are. And that's the, Linear super growth, linear. super linear growth. Cool. Mm -hmm. And so it's a bunch of math terms, but they're looking at terms. like, are we gradually reaching our carrying capacity and that carrying capacity is slowly growing over time? Or are we about to shoot past our carrying capacity so fast that we don't have the ability to modulate back down? Yes. Cool. I was able to follow it. The graphs help a lot, but I, I hope yes. I was able to clarify that a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um... Okay. She's just so I much think... smarter than me that I'm like, mm, nope, don't even think about your phone. 100% dial in right now, Grant. <laughs> I have no, okay. No, nope. This is All how right. I feel okay. whenever you talk about anything before, like, the Cold War. I'm like... Dial in, dial in. Sorry, what? <laughs> okay. Um, so, things that relate X equals Y. So, as time increases, the population increases the same amount. Or your Y variable increases the same amount. Um, things would be like jobs. As you have more people, you need more jobs. It doesn't matter how those jobs are defined. Right. You need more jobs if you have more people. Uh, houses, same thing. You need an, a house. It doesn't matter how that house is defined. It could be an apartment. It could be a townhouse. It could be a house. It could be a farm. You need another place to house people as population increases. Water consumption is the same thing. Humans need a certain amount of water or food to survive. And so per capita, as population increases, you need that same amount of whatever food or water that person needs. So that is X equals Y. Um, a carrying capacity style growth where you level out would be things uh, like land availability or food availability. So you have as much food as you have, like as your land can provide. If right. every human being needs, say like, I don't know, one pound of grain to survive, 
uh, you can keep growing until you hit your max capacity for producing grain, and then right. eventually your population has to level out one way or another. And it's like moments like these where your carrying capacity can increase, because like an acre of land in yeah. 1900 produced a lot less mm-hmm. bushels yeah. or grain than like what you could like 100 years later. Or a vertical grow farm. Right, like and that there's always things. kind of like tweaks you can make yeah. to help bump it up, and then that way your ability to produce keeps up with mm-hmm. your population, but they will reach a natural point too. Where, where it's you like just you have tapped stop. out. You've got to stop. Too. Yeah. Um, so that is a carrying capacity style growth. The things that relate to population growth super linearly are things that are so sorry social currencies like information or innovation or wealth, other things that are associated with cities. So larger cities display, as we know, larger incomes, larger costs, right. increased levels of productivity productivity, increased number of patents being filed, increased employment in creative sectors, increased employment in R&D sectors, and increased crime rates and increased pollution. Because as you have more people, that's just going to happen. There's more activity. And so those are the kinds of things that as time increases, as population increases, those things are just going to shoot up. And there's nothing stopping them from shooting up basically into infinity unless you have something that changes like what you were saying with we change how we produce right, that grain um as a city grows we're going to pollute more but we can't keep polluting without destroying the resources we need to create the things that we need that right. we then need to pollute right so it's like kind of a catch-22 so what do we do to avoid letting that graph go up to infinity to a point where we can't sustain it. We need moments to quote unquote innovation reset. And so the study about how cities differ from the outside or from more spread out civilizations is that we need more of these innovation resets. Um, And that's why we see more in the creative sector. That's why we see more in innovation Um, because the exponential graph, it needs a moment before it starts shooting up to infinity to reset and then start again that slow growth. And these are called innovation resets. And so instead of just shooting up to infinity, Mm -hmm. it gets these points where the graph completely resets and then completely resets and then completely resets. But as the graph continues to go up, the the reset the innovation reset time frame shortens. shortens yeah so for example if we need a certain amount of grain to survive right but our population keeps growing we could make an innovation that we have a gmo that makes the grain grow faster and that could reset sure. our requirement for, for the grain and then maybe instead of and then we'll keep growing until that new innovation, that GMO, is not going to support us anymore. So maybe we start doing vertical grow farming. So we have less land, more grain, and then that resets it again. But as we keep doing these resets, the time between when we need another reset before we shoot off into infinity decreases. And so how this relates to the Fermi paradox is that as a society grows and we get a bigger population, we get more more, uh, complex as a group of individuals, that time in between resets becomes so short that humanity as a whole or society as a whole has no time to think about exploring space because we are so focused on oh, okay. saving the innovation that happens I kept here. waiting for you to use the word like colonization or like no. branch out. But that like basically... There, there, there's needs at home. There's Either needs at home that you have to take care of. At some point, a society has to decide 
are we going to colonize other planets or are we going to save what we know? I think it's interesting that you chose, or that not you, but that the researchers chose a city analogy for it because, mm-hmm. like, that is a pretty classic tale for most empires, too. Yeah, exactly. As you grow up until a point, until, as now back to your cell mm-hmm. analogy, where, like, the internal conflict and stuff is so much greater that you need to, like, turn your focus towards that and... Once you do that, you are focused on maintaining and propping things up, but like a collapse mm-hmm. is going to happen, yeah. right? Like the Roman Empire is super common, but you see this in the Indian subcontinent, you see mm-hmm. this in East Asia, you see this in all sorts of places where it's like you grow and grow and grow, and there seems to be no stopping to that growth until, until it just kind of happens. There's until, just too much on the inside. There's too correct. much on the inside of the cell that you can no longer focus on the outside of it. And that's just fucking bananas to me. So the hypothesis is that civilizations either collapse from burnout or redirect themselves to prioritizing homeostasis. So they wouldn't have the capacity to consider... (laughs) No, I interrupted you. Please finish. No, you're good. It's the New Yorkers who have lived in New York for 20 years and now just have no interest in going anywhere else. It's literally... Like, the whole world is right here. Why would I leave It's every Hallmark movie ever. (laughs) They're like, well, what do you do right now? And they're like... We enjoy the sunrise. Like right. what? <laughs> They're like, mm, and but then what do you? Oh, okay. That, I, I, I'm not getting. Oh, it. I have That's to make fine. my own coffee. <laughs> what? There are certain times. Like it's always fun to get out of Denver. But mm-hmm. whenever I'm out of Denver, I'm like, get me back. Like I yes. l- internally, this is this is I like what's going on here. This is good. This is I enjoy this. You know. Um, and again, this is my Roman Empire because this is literally the Roman Empire. Empire. Now that yes, we're talking about exactly. Yeah, so yeah, 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 the yeah, Roman yeah. Empire. Its collapse is literally the same reason scientists and mathematicians... Math is so fucking cool because you can predict these kinds of... She's just hit us with 20 minutes of math, and now she's like, math is so cool. Math is so fucking cool because you can like watch these kinds of things happen in society. Like If we had this level of math in the Roman Empire, which I mean, it's totally possible, but like we could have predicted the collapse of Rome because we would have seen that we needed... Our innovation cycles were too fucking fast, and we couldn't maintain it. And that's so fucking bananas to me. I love math. Anyway... Uh, Mathematicians will literally come up with a formula to explain the fall of Rome (laughs) instead of just like understanding the Rubicon reference. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So all of that math is to say, uh, are we alone? (laughs) Because we just keep we keep coming up with potential solutions to are we alone and not actually thinking about it. Um, not actually really understanding. Is now a good time to pitch you what my thought is for the title of this episode? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next part is really short. We're like very close right. to the end. Plenty of fish, part two, alone in a crowded room. I love that so much. My other thought was like, uh, oh, what's the Dear Evan Hansen song? <clears throat> I'm not the person to ask. Waving through a window. I mean, I don't get it, but if you want to run it that, no, that's no, fine. no, no. That I, I listen when I write these show these notes. I never think of an episode until it is far or an episode and title, title until it's far too late. Um, <laughs> okay, so although we haven't heard anything from extraterrestrial life, quote, this is from some scientists on SETI. 
the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, which mm. just like blew my little. Yeah. There's your poetry for you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess aside from all of the other poetry, the last hour and a half, but yes. <laughs> I've been talking about math for 20 minutes. I felt like I needed to make it up to him. It's very pretty. Um, I'm hoping that you all stuck with me with through all of that. And I'm sorry if you didn't. <laughs> We're back to think, you don't need to understand the math for this next short part. Um, because I'm still not totally on board that there's alien life out there. Sure. However, sometimes when people with a lot of expertise in certain areas uh, say things, I'm like, oh, maybe there is. And then I get scared again. So the UFO congressional hearing oh in the God. United States. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> If you didn't hear about this, first of all, where were you? <laughs> Second of all, fucking banana. Like, the most dramatic thing in Congress for a while that, like, the normal person has cared about. I teach debate. You just had to bring up, like, the worst day of the school year so far. You're Let me reenact it yeah, for you. Yeah, you go for it. Mister, mister, did you, mister, there's aliens. Did you, mister, did you, mister, did you, oh my God. What is your professional opinion? On the UFO congressional hearing? Um, UFOs aren't real. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money to be made. Careful. UFOs are real because they don't, it doesn't need to be extraterrestrial. Okay. Aliens. There it is. Aren't going to be told to the American public mm -hmm. from like a fired former astronomer at a like weird Tuesday afternoon congressional hearing or whatever. Um, and that's not to say that I don't think things could be falling apart. I saw this tweet the other day. What well, was a tweet that was then on Instagram? Because I'm trying not to be on X. Um, but it was like, if a dragon flew overhead right now, like I, I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be a little bummed out. But I don't <laughs> think I'd out. I'd be thrilled. It's a fire-breathing dragon. Like another thing I needed on yes, Wednesday. I'm, I'm a woman that would see a pit bull on the street and be like, "You're coming home with me." <laughs> Like, come on. See, for me, I'm just like, I... This is the role reversal that I, we needed. The white man versus woman. I, no, because for me, if I, see a, if I see a dragon flying in the sky, oh, I'm like, thrilled. I knew that lesson plan submission was an absolute waste of my time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, get me the sword! Exactly. So that all I'm trying to say is, like, we are not going to be told that. And as I have had to tell the kids on, like, several occasions... Um, there is money to be made in like propagating your fear yes. by people who are pretty open about how they're using that money to like corrupt our political institutions. Um, and just, just because you don't like the outcome of all of our political institutions mm -hmm. doesn't mean they themselves are at their core untenable. Mm -hmm. And so while I understand it's funny to like, one of them came to me once and said some crazy, like, cracked Alex Jones thing. And it was like, did you know Michelle Obama oh, went to Epstein Island to receive, like, a gender-changing surgery? And he just, like, said these words to me. And I go, I want you to just think about every part of that sentence. sentence. And you come to your own conclusion as to whether or not something like that could this even exist possible. or would be real. Okay, okay. So, no, I don't think UFOs are real, and I don't think Sean McDuffie uh, or whatever uh, shared it at Congress. Really quick, though. We did just find out that Stephen Hawking might have been on the Epstein Islands. Um, Stephen Hawking was a brilliant scientist. Yes. Um, 
kind of questionable when it comes to his own personal life. That's very true, but that's not what any of us had on our bingo though, cards. Though, I, correct me if I'm wrong here. For real, it's like sending in an email. Yeah. But as I understand it, the woman you see him with in the Stephen Hawking movie mm-hmm. is the woman he then leaves later in life when he's famous for a different woman. I wasn't even talking about a movie. I was just talking about the fact that he was listed sure. in the episode. documents. It didn't shock me at all oh, really, when me. I saw his when I saw his name potentially okay, cool. on the list anyway <laughs> sorry no you're good <laughs> at the end of the it day it's just like at the end of the day men are still men men are men and that's not a ju- that is not me justifying anything that is me being like but men like I'm not surprised the bar for what a man would have to do for it to shock me is actually quite high because I do assume they would just do it do it they would yeah. do anything okay US UFO congressional hearing <laughs> um I agree with Grant on a lot of what he just said. I do have some fucking questions, though, um, that need answers. So the UFO congressional hearing, for those of you who may or may not know, um, was a congressional hearing that involved some ex-people that were involved in the U.S. uh, defense division. So like the Navy, Army, uh, UAP is what they call UFOs professionally in the government. And they just had a lot of things to share. They all had more higher security clearance than any of the people in Congress, which is what made this hearing so difficult because the people in Congress were like, well, anyway, tell us about this. And they were like, I can't. I literally cannot. (laughs) And you're the one that wanted this to be televised. So like, (laughs) um, anyway, so one of the major people that was in it was a former Air Force intelligence officer, retired Major David Grush, uh, who had worked with the UAP task force. They do not call UFOs UFOs, because that just means unidentified uh, flying object, object, which could be literally anything. Uh, UAP, which is what they call it, means unidentified aerial slash anomalous. They're switching towards anomalous because it could be like sea things as well. Uh, Phenomena. Um, So he worked on a UAP task force. And again, this is not aliens. This could be like... (laughs) Russia. This could be the Chinese weather balloon. You know, it could be anything. Um, David Grush claimed that the U.S. government had operated a secret multi-decade reverse engineering program of recovered vessels of not Earth origin. Um, The U.S. also recovered non-human biologics from alleged crash sites. Uh, And he said, quote, that was the assessment of people with direct knowledge on the UAP program I talked to that are currently still in the program. And while he hadn't personally seen any of the vessels or bodies, he says that, quote, my testimony is based on information I have been given by individuals with a longstanding track record of legitimacy and service to this country, many of whom shared compelling evidence in the form of photography, official documentation and classified oral testimony. And he made this testimony based on the accounts of over 40 witnesses he interviewed over four years while he worked with the UAP task force. So the congressional hearing was third-hand gossip from a top-secret organization he did not have direct access to? Second-hand gossip, technically. Well, when we heard it, it was third-hand Well, gossip. yeah, us hearing it is third-hand. <laughs> but there is, like, video of... It's second-hand because... We don't see his, his video talking to people. He's at least people. one degree removed. He's one from degree the removed. Of or, yes, exactly. Um, many times during the hearing, Grush said he could not answer the questions outside of an SCIF, a sensitive compartmented information facility. Some of the questions he was asked when he said he could not answer outside of an SCIF were if the government has had any contact with aliens 
or another question, whether anyone has been murdered to cover up information about this extraterrestrial technology. He also claimed that him and several of his colleagues have been the targets of, quote, administrative terrorism, making them all fear coming forward. He said, quote, it was very brutal and very unfortunate. Some of the tasks, tactics they used to hurt me both professionally and personally. Um, Congress, to be clear, is interested in UAPs, not for the aliens, right? Like the initial interest probably is... I don't know, uh, perpetrated by the aliens. Like it it helps with the public, I don't know, interest in government proceedings. They're really interested in it because of national security, because UFOs or UAPs could be controlled by U.S. adversaries. And that's really where this kind of, that's really how this got here. It wasn't like aliens, bring them in. You're telling me Donald Trump knew about aliens and didn't tell the entire world immediately? Listen, some things have to be kept from the president, right? Like, I don't know. He revealed an Israeli spy. Oh, he's not good at what he does. Um, so that's the real reason the government is involved or like interested in this, right? Um, and there are also calls to remove the stigma surrounding reports of UAPs by aviators because right now it's like if someone who's flying a plane is like, I saw some shit that I can't explain. The initial response is to kind of ridicule them and then be like, you don't like that can't be what you saw that doesn't right. make any sense instead of being like i believe you let's investigate <laughs> it and figure out what it actually is so what they're finding is that a lot of the like people that report these uaps and it's not just like your common civilian it's not just like your person that's standing in a cornfield like i don't understand what that thing that looks like a cuban cigar is <laughs> it's like it's like people <laughs> whose job it is to fly like military grade planes and like drones and shit it's like people that do this for a living and not only have a good knowledge of it it's people that like have a good knowledge of the top secret shit that we have that most people don't know and i'm not saying that this is a reason that aliens exist i am saying that it is a reason maybe we should investigate the shit that they're seeing because it could be potentially dangerous (laughs) to us um and so the other two members of this hearing are retired navy commander david fraver and former Navy fighter pilot Ryan Graves, and they both had unexplainable interactions with the UAPs. And I'm not saying, again, that these are aliens, although their testimonies are kind of baffling um, just because, like, no one can explain them, but that's how they're describing it, them and their the people that they saw it with. Um, but Ryan Graves, after his interaction with the UAP and after his experience reporting the UAP, founded Americans for Safe Aerospace, uh, which supports aviators who report UAPs because only about 5% of UAP sightings are reported to the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So, like, if an aviator sees something that they can't, they don't understand, and they report it to their supervisor, only 5% of the time is that taken up up the chain of command to people that will actually take it seriously and investigate it. And that in and of itself is a problem, aliens or not. Uh, (laughs) Here's a quote from the Democratic representative, Robert Garcia of California. UAPs, whether they may be pose may pose a serious threat to our military and our civilian aircraft and that must be understood we should encourage more reporting not less on uaps the more we understand the safer we will we will be ryan graves says quote i urge us to put aside stigma and address the security and safety issues on 
the safety issue this topic represents. If UAPs are foreign drones, it is an urgent national security problem. If it is something else, it is an issue for science. In either case, unidentified objects are a concern for flight safety. The American people deserve to know what is happening in our skies, and it is long overdue. And so, although I can't say this congressional hearing proves that aliens (laughs) exist, although it does raise some questions about maybe other governmental proceedings. Well, I mean, they're Chinese weather balloons. You're right. It, the the people that testified and their own personal expertise add a lot of validity to the problem. Um, I mean, to be fair, Houdini did go to Congress to try and outlaw mediums. So, like, Congress Congress alone does not, not the make this, this more valid. It's the people that testified and their own personal, like, understanding of the issues. And so, while... There might not be many pupfish in the devil's hole. <laughs> there are definitely a lot of fish in the sea or birds in the sky or stars in space. <laughs> and maybe we're alone. And maybe we're alone. In a crowded room. In a crowded room. I have pictures for you that I didn't get to showing you. This is the Italian article from when that UFO okay. was spotted. Um it's just, it's funny because it's like the worst print job you've ever seen. It's the worst print job. Also, conveniently, this photo has been lost. And so. Also, like, it's the most stereotypical. It's just uh, like, like a, alien photo. It's ever. a blob. Uh, this is an artist rendition, <laughs> which is hilarious. One of them has like um, a hay harvesting fork, I think. <laughs> a pitchfork. Also, it happened say. all at night. Yeah, I, they. This looks like the cover of one of the Frankenstein's books. But they took some artistic liberties, for sure. Uh, this is another picture of that spider silk okay. thing that's felt. This is. And these are people who saw it. Yeah, and experienced it's it. Like player, player, fan, other dude, sure. uh, like journalist, I think. And then, oh, that's actually it. I didn't yeah. get any more. Well, I'll say this. Uh, I love that we went from granular to grand. Um, <laughs> exactly. I am not shocked. That you did an alien episode. If mm. anything, I'm surprised it took this long. Um, because it's so hard. Because there, ugh, there's so much math involved in a lot of alien like understanding that I would sure. not be able to just see a reference to and then not deep dive in. And I'm. We'll see what you guys feel about this math episode because I'm. I'm proud of what you did. I'm proud of my ability to, for the most part keep Understand. up with what you yeah. were saying. Graphs helped a lot. Um, and I really enjoyed this. Um, this is also the episode right after Valentine's Day. And so, so maybe I, you are alone. Right, maybe you are. And that's fine. What I was trying to tease is this. I think what we should do for the Patreon tonight, recording in 10 seconds, is... Uh, lessons we've learned in dating and like oh fuck yeah you know like fun little quips things like that i can share that story about how i intentionally jumped out of a car when i was 23 years old if yes. i haven't already I don't um think I have. and yeah maybe you're alone maybe you're alone in a crowded room um let me just, know if you viscerally hated this episode fish and aliens actually are just kind of Feeling like it's balancing out in a way that I'm actually really happy about. There's there's a point in your pupfish episode that I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about, and I didn't even write it in my notes. I just texted Casey, Aliens. Fermi paradox. <laughs> he never even acknowledged it. Nice. He just knows he's your notes app. <laughs> he was like, okay. Um, I've done the speech the last couple times. Do you want to do the speech? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you like what you saw. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, do you need me to do it? You look a little untrained. Go ahead. No, a I'm, unsalted. Just, I'm just so unconfident in our listeners. Uh, 
I don't know, ability to enjoy math the way that I do. So It's because I am the only listener you ever regularly interact with? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're on social media uh, as well. I laughed on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we post our full episodes on YouTube at Well I Laughed. Our, if you listen and you want to see the pictures... We're wellilaugh.com, and our, all the show notes and everything are under show notes. And then uh, if you want to email us, we're wellilaughpod at gmail.com. And if you want to support us more and, uh, and get more content and get more content and interact with, with us on Discord, we're Well I Left Podcast. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> Bye. Bye. My back hurts so much. That's staying in the episode. I want to hear. You didn't say that after I stopped recording. Thank you.